Adam Sandler has a holiday, Brad Pitt kills softly, and Robin Williams changes Disney forever. This week on 30 Hello, everyone, and welcome to 302010, your weekly celebration of pop culture in the world 30, 20, and 10 years ago, celebrating the best anniversaries we have. Uh, this week, we're recording from the week of November 25th through December 1st, and we'll be looking at the world 30, 20, and 10 years ago, 2012, 2002, and 1992, all the great movies, TV shows, video games, music, and more that came out during that wonderful period of uh, people taking advantage of people's time off and holiday and holiday release schedules. Hi, I'm one of your Chris Santista. Who else is with me? I'm J.R. Rawls, and oh, there's a big surprise. That's incredible. I think I'm going to have a heart attack <laughs> and die from that surprise. I'm molting. And I'm Diana Goodman, and if the Jews as a unit ran Hollywood <laughs> and all entertainment the way they say they do, why is there only one Hanukkah movie and I hate it? <laughs> <laughs> Excellent point. I'm sure we can get to that. A strange amount of animated hits in, obs- in uh, obscurities in this episode. Non-hits, let's say, but all really worth discovering and seeing. I love even a failure of an animated movie. And if you didn't hear me tease it last week, in the first segment alone, they released two of the three movies are both the highest grossing movies of the entire year with a month left to go. <laughs> no, I, I forget that. That's not exactly how it works. I think they tally next year's box office returns into the year it was released but it's still pretty it's pretty pretty staggering to think about the two top grossing movies releasing on the same day extremely different flavors i cannot wait to talk about that once again we gotta thank our patreon patrons at patreon.com slash laser time we uh bailed on a longer discussion of the wii u and the wii u launch and we put that with our friend steve guntley of wii universe all over on patreon.com slash laser time to give you a really in-depth look at my least favorite nintendo console of all time jr was a little kinder to the little nintendo system that couldn't but let's let's move on with the show because it is fucking packed it is going to be a really really good one let's head back 30 years ago God, I, I, why do we not have a sound effect for that 70 years, seven, seven <laughs> seasons in? Uh, 1992, November 5th through December 1st. Uh, a man I've never heard of named Bob Iger is promoted to the head <laughs> and president of the ABC television division, which obviously this is notable because I think Bob Iger is the most significant D- Disney executive in my lifetime, even more so than Michael Eisner. Really? Yes. More than Michael Eisner? Yes. This, the, the, we can have discourse on I'm that. I'm not saying I like I what he did more because he tripled down on franchise stuff, park cohesion. Mm-hmm. Dude, the acquisition, major acquisitions of Star Wars, Marvel, Muppets, Pixar. He's there for all of that, man. And Michael Eisner was the guy who turned Disney around from a company that was seriously considering stopping making new movies. He did. They, when he took yeah. over, they were considering just yes. no more new they were movies. Being a cla- they would be a classic company. All right. I keep having to correct you on this. What? 
1992, Disney does not own ABC yet. Oh, not yet. Sorry, yes. Uh, but they, they, they have a, a financial stake in ABC and had th- since the yes. 50s. They had had yeah. a, a, co- a very cohesive partnership and the blocks were being – I don't think anybody predicted that in the 50s, but the blocks have been b- being built for decades to acquire yeah. ABC. Thank you, Diana. I keep forgetting that. Because of the nature of our show, because a few years ago we were covering when they did buy it in all television right. pro- pro- programming change where every ABC sitcom – Every character had to go to Disneyland <laughs> once a year. God, I don't know so how that was strange. legal. And, yeah. and a, another little tiny bit of techno- technology news. You know I love this to see where we are now. Just in time for the holidays, get your Star Trek screensavers. Remember those? Only $39.95. Wow. Uh, $39.95. Has, have any of you thought about a screensaver? And uh, with someone who has burn-in on their 4K television... It's not a bad idea to start reconsidering screensavers, but that's initially what it was supposed to do. Your computer, it would be put too much stress on it if you uh, powered it on and off too many times, so you'd want to let it sit in an idle mode, and you wouldn't want uh, the screen to uh, burn in with your Windows whatever on the CRT, so you'd have flying toasters. And then they eventually started selling premium Garfield. At Star Trek, that's about as much as I've seen a screensaver cost 40 bucks shit yeah because it's going for the market it's the market of star trek fans who were like well obviously if i get a star trek screensaver it's gonna make me feel like i'm captain yes but still in in 30 years later it's as much as 13 ninja turtle games that's how much the cowabunga collection is get it for uh, the ninja turtle fan in your life this holiday and let's move into the movies because this every single one of these uh, has left a historical footprint that cannot be denied. Uh, Home Alone 2 being one of them, whether you like it or not, it's number one at the box office this week. But that is going to change with one of these new releases. Oh, I forgot Samantha is in here. I don't know anything about Samantha. Ian Sky, Mary Kay Place, Hector Elizondo, Dermot Mulroney, and Martha Plimpton in Samantha, the little movie that couldn't right up against no. all these heavy hitters. No. Holy shit. No, I, it's it's Martha Plimpton's like one of her few starring roles. You know, because mm-hmm. like she she'd been a supporting actress for so long, oh, yeah. you know, and she was like people really liked her in Parenthood, and so she's in this movie that's kind of similar, but it's about how like she finds out she's adopted and goes looking for her birth parents, and it, no one cared. Sorry, that is the hardest act of counter programming for this week that I have ever ever heard. It, it really is. If like, you ex- we have if you explain every the, base covered the, the premise and the celebrities involved in the rest of these movies, and then just like, well, we're going to do the opposite of that with Samantha. <laughs> Anybody who doesn't like those big movies, maybe they like Samantha. So let's get into it because this movie is famous oh for good and bad reasons. Jim Broadbent, uh, Tony Slatery, Adrian Dunbar, uh, Forrest Whitaker. Jay Davidson, Miranda Richardson, and Stephen Ray in The Crying Game. You have minimum contact with that prisoner, because tomorrow we might have to shoot him. I want you to do something for me. I want you to find her out, see if she's all right. What? If I ran, you won't run. But if I did, you wouldn't shoot a brother in the back. Johnny! Listen, there's something I should tell you. God, I love I love that aspect of it because when this used to come on HBO, you could basically enjoy two completely separate movies in the form <laughs> of the crying game. And they're yep. they're both so, pretty compelling and original. I saw this movie for the very first time mm-hmm. this week, and yeah. I had of course known the twist. You know, yes. uh, over the last 30 years, the twist has utterly been spoiled. That's what the movie is known for. And I was so surprised that the twist is not an end twist. Right. It comes fairly early on in the movie. 
It is not trying to hide what it is. Knowing what the long. twist was when I saw the movie, I thought the bigger twist was how it ended. Mm. Yeah. Because it, uh, it, it, it and, and, and okay, because we mentioned, teased a little last week, we were a little trepidatious to talk about this. It, it makes me cringe a little bit. Not not because of the subject matter, because I, I as a cisgendered straight male, am not the best person to weigh in on, on opinions of trans depictions in film. Uh, mm. I, obviously, any, I encourage any of our community to weigh in on that because I don't think I got to a lot of analysis that I meant to because basically the story of this is an IRA agent develops a bond with a, a, a Forrest Whitaker who is captured and held hostage and eventually killed in a way that is like straight out of Family Guy. It's such a traumatizing death scene. It's so <laughs> gross. It like It's so gross and weird. Very, well, very jarring. It also takes the full blame of his death outside yes. of the protagonist hands. I love like, the way he says that. Did you kill him? He's, he's like, not as such, but I didn't, <laughs> I didn't prevent his death, but I, I didn't kill him either. No, and, but yeah. if he hadn't, if they hadn't kidnapped him, he would not be dead. And through, through legally, s- he is utterly guilty of murder, by the way, you, you yeah. can't kidnap someone yeah. and then have them die due to your kidnapping and be, well, I didn't technically kill him. No, no. Here, here. So, uh-huh. I just chased him with a gun. So yeah. through through the bond, Stephen Ray's uh, Stephen Ray establishes as an IRA agent, agent with his hostage the friendship they forge over these couple of days. He learns about his loved one in Forrest Whitaker. Do is, are there no other black actors in England? Like his accent's not great. I love Forrest Whitaker. <laughs> he's one of my favorite actors. I don't know why he's playing a British army person, but he is, and he's good. And he says. Here, I, I love this girl. Visit her and tell her I thought about her. And which leads to an obsession by Stephen Ray with the character Dill. Um, do we have what's what's his name? I'm not sure it's an obsession. I think it's just a feeling of guilt. There you a go. Feeling of wanting to remorse. Purge his remorse, mm-hmm. follow through with a dead man's wishes. And then when he meets this woman, I think he genuinely falls for her. He's got a whole bunch of emotions mixed up, but. What we see there is a bit of a meat cute. Yes. That's that's one of the thing about this movie is it's so many different movies. Yeah. It's partly a romance film. It mm-hmm. is partly a queer film. It is partly a IRA film. Yeah. 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 Like it, it holds up as a kind of a neat period picture. And getting to the 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 main thing in town, uh, Stephen Ray hooks up with this woman only to reveal with full frontal nudity that and the actor is not a trans person for the record. I didn't yeah. know that until looking into it. It's it's just a gay man who felt very effeminate and comfortable looking like a woman. A retired mm-hmm. actor. I did not know he was also in Stargate. Oh yeah. <laughs> but uh yeah, that he, that's he, what the movie plays like <laughs> raw god of the sun in Stargate. I was like, yeah. yeah. But th- that's not uh, th- and that's not even the, the end 1992 of 1992 audience. I don't think they would have recognized anything until the reveal. No, this is not I, a famous male actor. I believe the nineteen ninety two. Yeah, it's an unknown. Would be like not. Yeah, no, this is one hundred percent true. I saw this in theaters, and then I took a friend oh, wow. to see it again to see their reaction because yeah, you don't see it coming. Jay Davison, and here we're going to get into pronoun trouble. Jay Davison is a, is a man, mm-hmm. and the character Dills is a woman. So if you get confused with pronouns, sorry about that. He does a really good job and he looks very convincing you know he's very gender non-conforming extremely feminine mm-hmm. and it's talked Has about a having great that, female voice yeah and having problems you know being part of the gay community and that like yeah dudes who are attracted to dudes don't want someone necessarily who looks so feminine yeah and so you know had I, he said he felt alienated that. by the gay community by not looking like a traditional gay person yeah 
So that's 30 years ago. Totally. You know, I think the rainbow is a little wider now. Yeah. God. But what a great way to put it. <laughs> um, but yeah, here's where we get into the controversy. And that's where I did a lot of digging is like, this is a movie about a trans woman and it's 30 years old. And how is this treated? And the answer is not great. But... Uh, my, my caveat to that is compared to what in yeah. 1992? Yes. Yeah. Because, because if, if, it, it, I, the thing I remember, what I found most surprising about this Let's drop the veneer. I and most of the country, most of the world, were not as enlightened 30 years ago. We just weren't. So for me, the surprise is as the movie goes forward in Stephen Ray's secret life with this woman and his life as an agent converge together, he decides that he loves this person regardless of this thing that initially repulses him. That's what I did not expect. I did not expect that to happen in the movie. I'm not saying it's it, it's handled the most progressively, but I definitely never saw that coming when I was watching it for the first time. I, I, I don't never... think it's necessarily a yeah. dishonest portrayal for 1992 because he's not portrayed as a man who would initially be okay with yes, that. Yes, he's not looking so good. His... And that's uh, the, the issue that I have no idea about of consent when you tell people about that. Dill's like, dude, I thought you knew. You didn't right. know this? Yeah. Like, this is why people pursue me. Because everyone in town knows this. Yeah. In... Uh, so, yeah, there's there's a whole lot going on in there. We can't unpack it all. Yeah, we're not, we're not, uh, we're not we're not in a good authoritative but stance to, to... I really enjoyed the portrayal on this film of the scene where the protagonist had to transform his woman girlfriend back into a man to disguise her as a man so that they wouldn't kill her. Yeah. And how that devastated her. Yeah. Mm. How his girlfriend was just like devastated by being transformed. Also, I never something I moment. never something I would have picked up on in 1992-93 when I saw it. Right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So that's why I think scenes like that to me show that this movie has its heart in definitely the right place. That's And I don't think it would have been at all realistic to portray this IRA agent as being like, oh, I am okay, progressively ready for this. <laughs> I am absolutely yeah. okay with this. That, well, he, that, he that wouldn't have flown. He gradually becomes okay. I mean, he's yeah. actually, he starts out more okay with it than you'd expect. And that, I mean, he throws up yeah. and he kind of shoves her out of the way. It, it is, it is, he, it is he, imitated he, comedically in Ace Ventura and Naked yes. Gun 33 and a third. It is specifically yeah. referencing this scene in a much yeah. more insensitive way than I think this yeah. scene is portrayed. But, but then after that, yeah, he apologizes. He keeps wanting to see her. He he never specifically misgenders her. Mm -hmm. And then, yeah, when he comes up with this plan of, like, let's disguise you as a guy, she seems, oh, she's so wrecked, though. She's yeah. like, will you, will, will you love me then? Is that what I have to do? No, that's not me. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. oh, and that sorry. Sorry. where she's so wrecked is why I think that this film heart was in the right place. And, but I also think, yeah. and just as a defense of this film, whatever it looks like now, it's almost brilliant, uh, uh, what do you call it, kismet, that it's set in the backdrop of the Troubles. This thing that like, oh, yeah. I barely remember, but like, I remember like not being able to wrap my head around it. It's long gone, way in the past. Most people can't even fathom how people thought that way. So when you give it... Stephen Ray's reaction well, to it, it was still going on in 1992. Uh, the, yeah. the no, no, I, I know, I know, but I, but I'm saying another, like, I'm saying years. rooting it in that Five. that absolutely roots the film in 30 years ago. Stephen Ray's reaction was likely the audience's reaction. It was likely mm -hmm. society's reaction to such a thing. Hundred percent. In some ways, it's it's a better reaction than some people's reaction. It some would have been. Have the, 
Yeah, the trans panic defense mm -hmm. where he could beat the shit out of her yeah. and be like, yeah. I was trapped. And it's like, oh, God, fuck yourself. But I mean, but, it's so I read a lot of. Yeah, of uh, this is what I want to hear. Well, I yeah. So I, I did put it out to, you know, our trans listeners and I did read some trans analysis of stuff. And some of them, I mean, were pretty tough, obviously, yeah. like they, they really were categorizing it with something like Ace Ventura, where it's like mm -hmm. this is a punchline and. It's annoying to, you know, be reduced to a cheap joke. It's like I, I can see how they would see it that way. And there definitely is some element of that for the audience. Yes. How this movie is remembered is ha ha, it's a dude. And it's it's not she's first it's she's not, really not a dude. but it's not but portrayed that in the movie at all. It is not exactly well, hold on. It, it's ha -ha sort of it sort of is. And it uses genitalia to make that shocking reveal. It mm -hmm. is trying to do that, it, it, but it also, like, the end of the movie is this interesting story of love and remorse that triumphs over that initial panic, and yeah. and that's something I don't feel like movies were anywhere close to addressing for another 10 years. No, I, you, I would, you would say think that, that he would message... just be like, oh, they're a bunch of F-slurs, and then left it, be like, I don't yeah. care. Or at the, at the very feel... least, teamed up to shoot everybody at the end, not fall in love, <laughs> which they right. did. Yeah. The message that I got from watching this man's journey is love is love. Yeah, that's what that's what I got. That too. is what I got from the message. Yeah. And I agree that setting it in the IRA is a brilliant stroke because, yeah, the IRA films, there's no epic battles in it. Yeah, there's no dictators to be overthrown. It's all small scale subterfuge. It's political meetings in homes and pubs and shacks. And the violence doesn't happen with tanks or planes. It's all with pistols or small bombs. It's a mm -hmm. very contained, very dangerous time. Yeah, it's and it's it small level terror. It's low well. level terrorism, like with a, that's exactly yeah. what. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But then, I mean, that just adds to all of the different identity conflicts we have in this. We got I Irish versus English. We got black and white. We got gay and straight. We got cis and trans, and they're all sort of mushing together and you know Stephen Ray's character is feeling all these different pulls in all these different directions yeah. so I you know for trans listeners you don't want to watch it totally don't I, I totally I can yeah. I can see you no, not wanting I to watch see, it I could see it will it's it's a <laughs> I didn't want to scene when a guy throws up you mm -hmm. know and he because he finds out she's trans that's upsetting but I think, yeah, there is, they accidentally got a lot of stuff right for 1992, mm -hmm. more than I was expecting. I really thought rewatching this, like, I, this I, is I, I, I would be surprised if it was an accident. I feel like they put some work and effort. I, apparently, in the well, original script, yeah, it wasn't, a, yeah. A, it was, there, there was no trans involvement in the original script. It, it, no, the, the writer director Neil Jordan has, characterized dill as being its transvestite mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. and of the language of the time that's a man who dresses as a woman and mm -hmm. lives sometimes as a woman even though she always lives as a woman so she's not sometimes no. she's fully living as a woman so yeah it doesn't make a lot of sense mm. but and I, it, I i also like apologize if, if i'm not reading certain things into it because you know i'm kind of i feel like i'm only 10 years into understanding you know trans life in general like just not yeah. really knowing anything about it even living in the gayest city in the world you know mm -hmm. I, I i was really ignorant to a lot of that stuff so i, I i'm apologizing right now if i'm saying anything that offends anybody because i don't know how, what the reaction would be for a trans viewer in 2022 but like it, it i got vibes of like when we watched we were all hesitant to watch dances with wolves and then we gritted our teeth did it in like 
I thought that was going to be way worse. I really did. I thought that was going to be way worse. Yeah. And elements of this film really still worked for me, just like Dances with Wolves. Yeah, yeah. It, I it, think that's the thing you have to do. You have to separate it from the audience. It almost separated from its reputation. Yeah. Yeah. How I see, audiences I, I, took it at the time. Take it on. Take it in 2022. Would you make this film exactly the same way? Oh, fuck no. And I, but, know, and I, know, that, I know that's hard for the trans community as well, because I, I did read yeah. that a long time ago because of the nature of that reveal the crying game became shorthand for mm-hmm. such things, for yep. such people. And could and maybe he's, has been used as a slur against trans people, mm-hmm. just saying the word, the crying game. Sorry if I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Seriously, it's, so, it, it's possible. You're right. Here's the thing. Trans people, you absolutely have every right to view this however you want. That is your interpretation. That's completely correct. I watched it, and I saw a touching love story between yeah. two people. That's how I saw it. And I would say, what is the most recent big movie that has been a touching love story uh, about a trans person. Uh, the only one I watched, not is 10 years earlier, was Dressed to Kill, and that one is like, <laughs> oh, no God. trans person should ever watch that. It's deeply offensive. Yeah, and, that's what I was saying about like accidentally getting stuff right. Is <laughs> When you compare it to other trans depictions up to this time, yeah, oh my God, gold stars all around. This is a great yeah. job, even though it still has a lot of problems. Right, but give me the counterexample that shows how we're I know, so but that's, much that's, more better in the modern that's day. That's not always, yeah. you know, the best defense of a film, you know, just because no one else had... Yeah. I, I, but I'm with you, JR. I took the same thing away from it I did when I was younger. I thought the real reveal was that he stayed with her because in every other time I saw this scene parodied, people threw up, ran out of the room, and the character was relegated to less than human. That's yeah. how that worked. And, and it was all referencing this scene, which is, in hindsight much more tastefully done i that's about all i can say about it i i, I don't want to i don't want to diminish anybody else's uh, experience with the film but uh yeah I, I i enjoyed it today more than i thought i would and, and just stephen ray who, who like i only see him in movies i love I, i've seen <laughs> vic v for vendetta who didn't watch that on november 5th just a little while ago he's amazing in that movie and i've seen him in, like three other movies where is stephen ray who's why are we not using stephen ray and stuff he's awesome the fucking yeah, hangdog so, look on his face. He looks so exactly. Oh. I was gonna say hangdog. He looks mm-hmm. like a like a, a human bloodhound. He's mm-hmm. so droopy. Oh, love it, love it, love it. So should we move on to the next? Oh, we got a clip here. Oh, oh well, uh, I mean, we should talk about yeah the idea of the secret of the crying game. Like mm-hmm. they market it because this is a very small budget movie. Yeah, and it does huge totally on word of mouth it comes out of you know all the critics associations really love it it comes out of the uh festival circuit people are like holy shit mm-hmm. that's a really good movie <gasps> but i can't tell you the secret and mm-hmm. then they start marketing of like like it's got a big old twist which is like kind of no but which which yes in 1992 yes but now it's sort of like well uh it turned out she's muslim <laughs> <laughs> but they, but therein therein lies the exploitative nature of the reveal and how it is used. Yeah. I can understand people being offended by that in all of its context. But it is yeah. it is interesting just because it went through the festival circuit. I think it wins an Oscar for screenplay and yeah. and then gets a much bigger push at least stateside for us. And uh, I think that's yeah. when most people end up seeing it. And it, it, take away no what the one talked right. No one take away what talked. the spoiler is. Like I, I do love like a sophisticated audience keeping a secret for that long. 
Can, can we hear Siskel and yeah, Ebert Yeah, Because like, I think they do it masterfully. With a film like this, you almost want to tell people, look, uh, just go see it. I don't want to talk to you about it at all. Right. Don't ask me what it's about. Just take my word for it. Go see it. Because right. anything I would tell you mm. would diminish your enjoyment of the film. Well, uh, there is that, that quality to it. I just think that it's time to give this guy, Neil Jordan, some real mm. credit. Yeah, yeah. Good on you, Ebert. Uh, love that man. Um, and then, holy shit, that's not even it. This is like no. my least yeah. favorite film uh, but it's like it's amazing a film like this thinks i would think due to one person made this much money and had this much of a cultural impact uh lawrence kasdan it's not the spoilers not <laughs> lawrence kasdan uh, a script he wrote like 20 years before yeah. before he became a professional screenwriter and i, and I would know who he wrote it for who steve mcqueen wow and Diana ross wow yeah was gonna be the original casting and i oh, it, that would have been so good just because there's, be it's, an epic it's not that interesting i went to school with kasdan's uh, nephew and he told me well thanksgiving was interesting this year i had it at my uncle's house and kevin costner showed up <laughs> ralph wait bill combs uh, cobbs before we say it, kevin costner is the secret hero of this movie and we will talk about why yeah. in a second not not just because he's the literal hero mm-hmm he did a ver one very important thing that elevates this. Movie. Okay, uh, Bill Cobbs, Gary Kemp. I'd say the ingredient X: Whitney Houston, uh, Whitney right. Houston, and Kevin Costner in The Bodyguard. A bodyguard lives by three rules: never let your guard down, never let her out of your sight, never fall in love. Kevin Costner, Whitney Houston, The Bodyguard. Such an interesting time back then when it was kind of difficult to own movies, but almost every woman I knew and every black family I knew, this was one of like the five VHSs on their shelf, The Bodyguard. <laughs> the Bodyguard. And I, I've seen it countless number of times thanks to HBO airings, but yeah, I haven't I haven't seen it in a long time. What did, you, did, did anybody else get a chance to rewatch it? First time watch. Really? Whoa. Yeah, I, I don't know. I just wasn't at the, the right age to really uh, go see it when it came out. And it just kept missing me. And by God, do, do I think this holds up? Huh. This is a fascinating look into a man who does his job well, which I always love. I have never really considered Especially after uh, working how with hard me. it is to be a bodyguard to someone famous like here we are in public. Anyone here could be the person yeah. I'm trying to make sure does not kill this yeah, person. Yeah, you can't can't stop and look at your phone in that kind of gig. You got to yeah. keep fucking high up. I always enjoy that. I always enjoy seeing people do their job well. I thought the acting of Kevin Costner was very reserved and was good because we could tell that he's a human, but he's also a human who has a incredibly tough job to do and he cannot really allow himself to relax. Because his lives are literally on the line. Here. You know what, what's weird? I, I, I did a, made a weird, I don't know what I was, I was sick, COVID, and like, I'm going to find out what this whole Yellowstone thing is about, because that is like <laughs> a hugely popular show that none of us are watching. I got bored in like 20 minutes, but it, I was like, but Kevin Costner, in movies, he's not spearheading or like has a huge stake in. He's a really good actor, like in, in, in certain things, but he, his, his projects always make me cringe a little bit the ones that are produced written and shepherded by him uh, yeah well th i think this fits him really well because yeah. he's he's kind of bland 
Yeah, no, he, I think he plays he's a, a he's a very reserved kind of actor. You never see him really explode. So to play a reserved person, good idea. He's like he's like a Clint Eastwood <laughs> who can't fight. <laughs> but yeah, the, yeah bodyguard. Yeah. yeah, I mean it's fine. It's a little, you know, it's a little cookie cutter. I mean, it sets some of the cookie cutter. What's stuff a, yeah, I think too, you could easily say it's it's, yeah. t- it's timeless because yeah, it, it I, could I it could have it could have been made in up. any decade. And and, yeah. and I think what oh, what, what elevates it is the Whitney Houston is not even at the top of her roller coaster yet. She is uh, on an ascent that isn't quite over. This is you could argue this is well, the top. Well, I I would this call might be this, the top. I mean, in album sales, yes, because this is literally the number one selling movie soundtrack of all time. Yeah, this yeah. movie soundtrack sold forty five million copies. Oof. I'm I'm positive that's more albums than were sold in all of twenty twenty <laughs> physically maybe. The the closest is Saturday Night Fever at forty million. So wow, this sold more than Saturday Night Fever, which basically invented disco. So wow. that's solidified disco. Solidified super, di- super disco. Yeah, when Perfected, when maybe. people say, "Hey, let's have a montage about disco," what do you want to imply? Yeah. So here's why Kevin Costner's the secret hero of this movie. This is Whitney Houston's film debut. Mm-hmm. You know, she's been a hugely popular recording artist this whole time. Mm-hmm. Can she act? She does fine. But she was going to do like the big number was going to be what becomes of the broken hearted, which is a song I freaking love. And then they found out that was going to be in fried green tomatoes. <laughs> Oh, wow. And they're like, oh, well, that might be too much. And Kevin Costner is the one who suggested I Will Always Love You playing the Linda Ronstadt version for her. Wow. And they were like, oh. there because we go. I, I, I know I've mentioned that a lot. I saw Dolly Parton live, and she when she got to – she gets to this point in her show where she starts doing songs that have been made more popular by other people. And she's like, I'm going to do – Nora Jones. Nora Jones did this, this version of my song. I just like hers way better. I'm going to do it the way she did it. And, and one of the things I – whether you love and I will always love you by Whitney Houston or not, this song is impossible for 99.9% of the country to karaoke. You should never attempt to sing this song. You can sing the Dolly version. You can maybe sing the Linda Ronstadt version, but you should stay away with embarrassing yourself by trying to perform this inimitable voice. It's just really interesting. So you have to give the song that. So Whitney Houston's vocal abilities are Mm. so amazing. They're like, Mm near superhuman if you listen yeah. to it and try to copy it, it normal humans try and hold that. your breath for as long as she holds a note it's yeah. for as a former smoker it's difficult <laughs> and you know that's, that's just one of the super sad things about her death yeah. is that her substance abuse problems really robbed her Fucking of Bobby those Brown. vocal talents and by the end she couldn't sing her own song. So what do you, yeah. I, I've actually never done this, like listening to the other versions of the song. So Kevin mm-hmm. Costner goes in and brings, what about this version of I Will Always Love You? Weird. It's like just a little bit sadder. It's just a little mm-hmm. bit sadder. And uh, uh, yeah, and Dolly Parton's so, original, this is what that sounds like. I'm, I'm terrible at talking about music, but it lacks that. Whitney Houston's is like a primal scream, something yeah, I yeah. don't, I, I can't exactly. even believe a human can recreate on purpose. Well, she she adds a bunch of soul to it, and then that final when the 
just the structure of it too. This starts it starts out a cappella mm-hmm. and really slow. The record company didn't like that. They're like, no, no one on the radio is going to play this. But it's like it's it all builds up. So when you finally get that big hit, mm-hmm. you know, and like the sound drops out so, and then it comes back yeah. in with it, it's also fucking triumphant. And mm-hmm. you're like, Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to pick someone up and carry them out of a building. That's a great (laughs) idea, Winnie. Gosh, you know, the thing is, I didn't realize this was like a sad song until now. Yeah. Like, because it's about I will always love you, but we're not right for each other. And and, and in the Whitney Houston music video, she's smiling. Whereas I think Linda Ronstadt and Dolly's Vartons are more intentionally sad. Yeah. Yeah. And Dolly's isn't about a romantic partner. It's about her mentor. Oh, okay. And how she needs to move on from him. She's out, outgrown him. They, they're not connecting the same way. But, you know, we had the good times. I'll always love you. What a sweet way to fire somebody yeah. with a song that's going to be played on the radio in 30 years. For 30 yeah, years. None of my bosses have ever <laughs> made me a song when they fired me. All right. And with, uh, JR, during your exit interview, it's mandatory for me to sing. <laughs> We're in the top 5% for the company, but we need a downside. <laughs> we liked you the least. <laughs> First one in, last one out. Sorry. Oh, Diana got the closest. Look at that. Here's your vacation time in a check. <laughs> uh, but but I, I I would easily also say the legacy of the movie is far outshadowed by the song. And oh 100%. God, yes, because the a billion. the song has lived on. If you have to suffer through over the air radio, you'll hear it every day. Whereas the movie doesn't get the kind of play a movie that made this much probably should through re-airings and home video that other movies during this period do especially the next one we'll talk about i'm kind of bummed though that i will always love you overshadows other songs on the soundtrack because there's some fucking bangers there's the cover of i'm every woman awesome is that in this movie it's on the soundtrack okay Uh, it's got uh queen of the night and run to you and i have nothing Ooh, that's a good one wow come on man wow uh, and yet, the, the Bodyguard will go on to become the second highest-grossing movie of 1992. And I think in a Again. in a, in, a, in an era where like no movies make that that don't have a lightsaber or Iron Man in them, it's pretty well, astonishing what the public. It's, it's romance. It's action. Yeah, you can get you get guys and girls. I know. Yeah. I just it just seemed it just it, I, I feel like a tingle of happiness that like the whole world dug the vibe of this movie that much compared to what ends up owning the top 10 box offices in our modern era it's see this is this is the past you only get genre high spectacle films in our top 10 these days and there was a time when a story that takes place in the real world theoretically could be in the top 10 yeah and there was also a time when it wasn't uncommon it just it actually is odd this isn't the case where a dis the, the disney movie the disney animated movie had only been annualized up uh at 1989 it used to take far longer in between disney mm-hmm. animated movies but usually when they came out they would kind of dominate the box office especially if you tallied in the overseas with the domestic it would that would be the highest grossing movie of the year but this there was like with a bullet domestically our next film jesus christ so God, it might be the greatest cast of any animated movie ever frank <laughs> welker so douglas seal is that is that the sultan yeah, he's he's the fuck. He's Santa in Ernest Saves Christmas. Gilbert Gottfried, uh, Jonathan R. Freeman, Linda Linda Larkin, Robin Williams, and the unforgettable Scott Wagner. Ladies and gentlemen, it's Aladdin from Walt Disney Pictures. Take one incredible genie. Wow, does this feel good to be out of there? 
three magical wishes. An ixnay on the wishing for more wishes. And dozens of wonderful new characters. Ah, go on. Put them together, group hug, and you've got pure Disney fun. You mind if I kiss the monkey? This holiday season, take off on an adventure beyond imagination. Walt Disney Pictures, Aladdin, rated G. Now playing at a theater near you. Oh. Can I just start with that? Is not the last time we will hear the Disney guy say "take off on adventure." Oh, really? Oh, right. Yeah, because oh, the people yeah. who direct this direct another movie in this episode. Yep, another yep. male-centric animated. No, it's not for girls. It's actiony, but girls will like it too. Uh, yeah, I never, I never thought that until watching that. Yeah, the movie has a lot more action elements, and the thing I always try and bring up about the magic of this film, it is because of Robin Williams exclusively. I, I will maintain because. If you look at their last movie, there are no comedic elements. The most famous person in Beauty and the Beast, at that point, the most, the highest grossing, most critically revered Disney animated film, it's straightforward. The the most famous person is Jerry Orbach, and I definitely didn't know who that was. And the movie previously, the funniest person in a Disney movie was Buddy Hackett. And, and, and I'm not kidding. Disney did not cast celebrities, true. really. Uh, Peter no, Ustinov they... is like the most famous person cast in a Disney animated film. Yeah, it... uh, Robin Williams deserves a ton of credit. He does. He absolutely does. But it wasn't just him. I mean, he was doing a very similar shtick in Fern Girl. Fern Girl, yes. Rainforest. However, however, but Disney set the template. And Disney movies were not mostly or even like 50% funny at this point. Robin Williams did two days of recordings, and we I, I don't know how di- deep to dig in the history. He didn't want it to overshadow his friend's movie, Toys, that will you know, obviously talk about for even longer because it's even better regarded. Don't put, me, <laughs> don't put me in this movie. I Don't put me on the poster. I don't want to be in this movie for this much amount of time. Yeah. I have another movie coming out. I don't want it to overshadow it. But he did so much, improv so much, they, that they were able to put way more of him in the movie than was initially planned. And I just remember watching it, watching it as a little kid, how you were really waiting for the genie to come in every oh, yeah, single time because it's it's like 100%. four fucking moments and, and and part of that is eric goldberg I, please look that up to convince robin williams to do that they animated one of his stand-up routines eric goldberg one of my favorite pieces of trivia i didn't know until robin williams died it's just great robin williams if you watch his comedy special he does this joke that walter cronkite told him where he met walter cronkite was a made for epcot no mgm hollywood studios disney a theme park attraction where he uh, did a little documentary about the process of animation. He meets Walter Cronkite, and he tells him his favorite movie is Peter Pan, also foreshadowing his appearance in Hook. And they make him a, a lost boy. But when he appears in live action to Walter Cronkite, he is wearing a loud yellow Hawaiian shirt and a goofy hat and holding a giant camera. And Eric Goldberg animated that attraction uh, animation, and that's how the genie appears at the end of the movie. It's referencing Robin, what Robin Williams dressed like in that 1985 cartoon, which I think is hilarious. But, but, but Eric Goldberg yeah. specializes in, in funny stuff. And again, I think this changed all of animation. When you go and see, other than like Rise of the Guardians last week, there has to be a certain amount of funny. You have to have cast a comedian yeah. in at least one prominent role in every animated movie. And that was not the case for any other Disney movie up until this point. Well, use, a lot of times there's still there's comic relief. There are, they, there had, are, but they're mostly comic relief or not. They're, but, they're mostly the, what I, they call the little guys. They're cute, yeah, but they're not funny. Yeah. Funny. This is outright funny. Gilbert Godfrey. Yeah. 
in this film Baffling. is the traditional comic relief in yes. a Disney yes. film. He is, he, is, he, is in the, he is in the role of what they call, sorry, what they call the little guys that started in Cinderella because in the book Cinderella, Cinderella talks to herself for pages at a time and looks insane <laughs> if you were to translate that into a movie. So they created these little mice that she could have this conversation with. She is talking to somebody. They can't affect the plot very much though, even though they sort of do at the end. The genie is plot essential. And it, that a major character needs to be outright comedic. This starts right here. And it, 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 it's such a slow process animation. This doesn't even translate into some of their later movies, but like every animated mainstream Hollywood movie you see from here on out will have a Robin Williams genie character, period. And, and I love it. And Jafar started out as the comedic one. And then they hmm. gave him a little guy like Iago, which I still, the only thing I wrote down is like, why is Iago working undercover? The Gilbert Godfrey parrot, he is pretending to be a parrot around the Sultan. He shoves crackers in his mouth. And then when he's gone, he's like, ah, oh, oh, I hate that. Like, really? Why are we hiding this from the world? <laughs> and and uh, Iago, as a character I love, I know we lost Gilbert Godfrey recently. If you aren't familiar, because we are a little old, I, I think I, the, the only real age difference I think we have here with our 302010 hosts, I'm definitely not puberty <laughs> yet, not hitting mm. puberty yet, but as the Aladdin franchise makes more movies, computer games, and a TV show, Iago is like one of the biggest face turns in pop culture history. He he turns good <laughs> in the second movie and is good forever after. And he's good in the huh. cartoon yes. series, I believe. He is a friend. Yeah. He is a friend yeah. to Aladdin and Genie. And and, yeah. and just the other but, the other fact to what I wanted to spit out before Gollum, before Woody, mm. Carpet is the greatest full CGI character of all time. That is the first. Is he full? CG? He is full CG. I, I thought I thought the edges of him were hand animated, and his pattern was CG. Okay, maybe, but he's clearly animated in a different style from every other There's character in the movie. Definitely computer animation. And Disney CG. had used oh, computer yeah. animation, but it's usually for environments and uh, at that mm -hmm. point, and 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 camera travel. So this is one of the first CGI characters I think in a mainstream anything. And I know it's young Sherlock Holmes. Don't fuck it. Don't come at me. I know that's the first CGI character. I'll kill you. Try and correct me on this. I'm just saying how much. Because Diana, I think, said on the last show, this might be my favorite Disney movie just because, you know, I was there for it. I wasn't growing up in the shadow of its legacy. I just, I didn't expect anything when I was brought to the theater. I didn't ask to go. And and at this, and part of the tragedy of Robin Williams' death is because his status in my family was like, this is a guy mom likes, dad likes, little sister likes, Chris likes. Everybody looks forward to seeing Robin Williams and what whatever he's doing and everybody was happy and Disney broke its <laughs> handshake deal with Robin Williams and made him the biggest thing on the poster which he asked them not to do and it, you know he had a fraught relationship with Disney for quite a while after that it's very famous I don't know if we need to recount that but but it's also yeah. it, uh, it's also fascinating to me and I wanted to ask Diana from the old Hollywood aspect Aladdin yeah. is only something recently uh, it, 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 this is a story that has been told a billion different ways in a billion different mediums. And I think only now with our sensitivity of cultural appropriation that um, I, I still think Dis not to make a straw man argument, but I heard someone's like, they couldn't even make Aladdin today. And like, they just did. First of they all, literally did. they did. And Disney makes movies did. set in different cultures all the time. They just usually now don't cast exclusively white people, which they did for Aladdin. Naughty, naughty, whatever. But it, yeah, they're, they're pulling a lot from Thief of Baghdad. Yes. And there have been a bunch of different versions of that. And Thousand and one Arabian you know, Nights. Yeah. They're, they're, you know, I appreciate that they turned it into Agrabah, a fictional place mm -hmm. instead of 
pretending like this is a real kingdom and this yeah. is how they're really like over there because uh yeah they did some insensitive things and they got called on it and had to change a lyric like right off the bat yeah like but, but i think to the movie's bad. credit and then they did and, this, and they and it was a good call this uh because i love that theory that the genie is the character in the beginning beginning of the movie i don't believe it they're just both voiced by robin williams because he's very versatile mm -hmm. But he does. Is this the original lyric? Because I yeah. even remember hearing this as a kid. Like, ooh, that's cool. A little too cool. Where they cut off your ear if they don't like your face. It's barbaric, but hey, it's old. They cut off your ear if they don't like your face. And and and, did, and barbaric. That they kept the word barbaric though. I'm not. It, it, well, the heat care. is immense. The heat is right. It's flat and immense, and the heat is intense. Yeah. And, and, and Dis Barbaric? Disney Disney has done this in the past and, you know, it doesn't happen anymore. And I can't, when they caricaturize different cultures in the face way, like this is kind of the last time they do that, where they, they had a, a, I don't know what you'd call it, a Semitic look, but like their characters mm -hmm. don't look like white Disney characters. I, they don't really do that anymore. Mm -hmm. they, they, True. They, now, can, ah, can I talk? Oh, sorry, sorry. This, this, but I'm with you. This is one of my favorite movies. Sorry, Diana. I mean, we really should talk about making an Ashman. Yes. Because it was, they pitched the idea. Yes. Of doing an Aladdin yeah. story. That this start this, this starts with the songwriters. The they And Michael yeah. Eisner put this, like, fuck this movie. I'm, I'm tabling this for now. It may never happen. Yeah. For, it, it, yeah. Yeah. So they, they, it, they went through so many drafts and they had so many different characters come through and they had, you know, all kinds of people worked on this and it just took them forever to break the story. And if they didn't have the story structure in place, then Robin Williams blah, 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 would be so fucking annoying. Yeah. But they yeah. always gave him, here's, it would be Ferngully. <laughs> it's like, here's, here's, here's what the scene is about. And here is the goal. And you have to ad lib your way to the goal. And yeah. That's it. Oh shit! That's what that's what good improv is. There is a goal in mind. You're going somewhere. And speaking of classic Hollywood, I rarely plug something we've written, but Henry and I, when it came in on Blu-ray, tried to trace all. I think we got 32 impressions, trying to trace back what they all are. Like I had to look. Oh, well, now I know who Walter Brennan is, and uh, <laughs> and who's that conservative guy? Um, yeah. The new uh, George Will. No, uh, he does the Buckley. yes, William William yeah. Buckley, which is like fucking bizarre to have characterized in a Disney movie, but here it is, yeah. William, William Buckley. Yeah, and I think I mean that's why one of the reasons this movie hit with me so strongly because I wasn't expect a I wasn't expecting it to be funny, b I wasn't expecting it to have like good action, uh, well rounded characters, and yeah. a princess that kicks ass. Yeah. Because yeah. we are getting into the princess times where they start marketing that as its own thing. And mm. Jasmine is an actual fucking character with actual plans, abilities, thoughts in her fucking head. A tiger to rip your balls off. <laughs> I love her. Raja. Yes. I love her so much. Yeah. Yeah. She has goals other than to be married. In fact, it's usually quite the opposite. Yeah. And I just, I just yeah, love, love cool. now, like when her first suitor, I'm like, that's Corey Burton. Because Corey Burton has done Captain Hook since the death of the original actor and he sounds just like him that even even his aladdin suitor character sounds like captain hook so happy yeah. but also like they do like little subtle things like the the art style they're going for especially with the genie is is very al hirschfeld mm. style except for jafar he is designed very differently and very angular so he art is like well that's the bad guy right there and jonathan freeman who does that voice is mostly a stage guy honestly yeah. this Bread and butter now, though. This yeah, he, he's still Jafar, isn't he? Like, he plays Jafar in the Broadway production. 
or yeah. he he had a long period of he's like the all only the, actor to do that from the original all, film. Yeah, all the games, all the Kingdom Hearts stuff. Yeah, always. That's just his job. Oh and no, no, like, no. He, he that he plays Jafar on stage. Nice. Uh, and it has done so several times in that Aladdin Tamor broad, Broadway production. Cool. So yeah, I just okay. now here's here's my big question though because we talked about just last week we talked about Rise of the Guardians and how mm-hmm. it's got this star-studded actor cast not voice actor but actor and jr thought like some of them weren't up uh, they weren't right that was me okay yeah. well who is only, it who is it only chris chris, chris pine because chris, chris pine's okay. playing a yeah, teenager I thought they it, were good no i did okay. too just chris pine all right who Sorry. i love so chris thought chris pine was not quite right is so i feel like we can kind of blame aladdin for the celebrity voice actor i was gonna thing. say that sure. i think robin williams was 100 percent perfect for this film, that model has been copied far too much. It's yes. like how action films copy the Bourne Identities fight scenes when that had a specific purpose for that film. Robin Williams' wackety schmackety things works with the genie because it works perfectly into the structure of Aladdin. Mm-hmm. It is like literally designed to have this magical creature yeah, bring chaos. Shape shifting like, ghost. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I just love the idea that, well, he hasn't had anyone to talk to for a long time. Uh-huh. So now it's all coming out. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it does happen when you work from home, trust me. Why, why, yeah. Everybody's done it now. Never mind. 3,000 years give you such, such a crick, a crick in the neck. neck. Oh. Yeah. Uh, I think you're correct on that. It's just that, like, Disney at this point, man, they really, really did cast in the leads. In the leads are still, like, mainly voice actors. And, yeah. and I, I just like, Scott Wigg, he's most famous for being DJ's boyfriend on Full House. And I don't know. And, and? Give on me. the oh, episode, <laughs> uh, were you going to tell that? No, no, you go ahead. You go ahead. Okay. On the episode of Full House, where, of course, they go to Disneyland, yes. yeah. <laughs> Disney World, he ends up playing Aladdin. And so they have the voice of Aladdin play, being played fictional character who is then dressing up as Aladdin. But, that's, I, but like, you know, the Sultan's not a very famous guy. Jasmine, uh, Linda, what's her name, is not a famous. Robin Williams is kind of the first A-list actor to be in a Disney movie. And that did open the floodgates to a lot of that. Jesus Christ, when you get to The Lion King, like, this is where you put Whoopi Goldberg? Holy shit, she would have been the lead, like, a year ago. Now she's, like, the third hyena. I still, I, I, I'm baffled by the, because he it's, he's also has a singing counterpart. That's not him singing. Well, why'd you cast him in the role if he's not an A-list star? No one knows who he is. Why don't you just cast the guy who does the singing? Like you did with Little Mermaid, Jody Benson. Like, she does both. Anyway, uh, no. but I think this is a flawless fucking film flawless film yeah i I can't think of anything else i'd like to change about it yeah Yeah. it's like i haven't watched a single one of the disney live action adaptations because why would i do that if they got it right the first time and this one's like i can't think of anything that needs fixing i think they worked so hard on this script yeah that i think they broke it out then like ah we don't need aladdin's mom ah we don't need this song over here Ah, we don't need this and just yeah making an ashman i think this is the last project ashman worked on he died while making it yeah while making it and and like they were just so good at here's the basic story and here's where the songs go and it was like their idea that there should be sort of a big cab calloway kind of number and so you get friend like me which is like so much fun to just have different musical styles because before robin williams the genie was supposed to be just cab calloway type oh that's what he was supposed to be uh yeah yeah again lasertimepodcast.com aladdin impressions you can see comparison videos as many as we can find to a guide to the impressions because a lot of them you know in 1992 i think i got 
Arsenio Hall and Rodney Dangerfield and very and Peter Laurie and maybe one other. <laughs> oh man, now I'm wondering how many of the people he's doing impressions of are still alive. I mean, th- Ooh, many of them were dead at the time. Many- yeah, he's doing fucking Ed Sullivan, man. I mean, that that that's a that's a Jr. Uh, math <laughs> equation to put in there because Robin Williams grew up enduring like 50 years of entertainment whereas your kids may grow up seeing 10 years worth of entertainment Robin Williams had a bunch of classical actors in his head as a little kid the yeah. way we might not but I, I, it's just flawless I think it still works a, a little thing for animation nerds you know I was watching Bugs Bunny cartoons this weekend they don't remove the dust from animation cells a lot, but Disney was kind of already doing that in the 90s. A lot of people have issues when they clean up imperfections that existed in like Pinocchio for 60 years, when they digitally remove dust or shadows or grain. They were already kind of doing that, and um, this is one of the only 4K Blu-rays Disney put out of 2D animation. There's like Beauty and the Beast, Little Mermaid, this, and um, I think maybe Snow White, and then they just, Disney Plus, but it still looks better than Disney Plus, the the 4K Blu-ray. It looks ass tonishing in 4k it's absolutely unbelievable and uh, i never get tired of watching this movie i i think the friend like me musical sequence also changed the way they did musical sequences i mean mm-hmm. uh be our guest was like the first one that like we're going full magical realism not just a guy dancing in his environment but this is just like things just appear out of nowhere the hakuna matata song the, the sky changes colors in that one like we get a different type of musical numbers moving forward and no, one last thing. Yeah. Chris, yeah. do you know who called this the funniest animated film of all time? No. Chuck Jones. Did he really? Whoa. He did. A guy, a guy yeah. who made terribly unfunny movies. Uh, <laughs> well, just he not made what's up for a doc, man. He gets a pass forever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's made yeah. the he's made the funniest contributions to animation his animation than any other person in human history, Chuck Jones. But that's that's yeah. a lot, man. Holy fuck. And, I feel like he's a guy who definitely would appreciate that flying carpet. And it, yeah. it's, the way, how do you anthropomorphize a flying carpet? Yeah, and even and like I do totally it. I totally believe it's a character. And then, you know, what 20 something years later I watch Doctor Strange and the way his cape is moving, and I'm like Dude, it's just the flying carpet again. Yes, I love it. Flying carpet. Yeah. But yeah, and even the CG stuff, because there had been CG elements and Rescuers Down Under and Beauty and the Beast, but they're mostly environmental stuff. And I'm aware of Down Under and John Candy being cast in there, but that was a straight-to-video movie that got moved to a theatrical release. And I love it. Just bought an ornament of it. Thank you. Disney Store Outlet. Seven bucks. Go check out your Disney Store Outlet. I never knew they existed. Can't get enough of Aladdin. And it's just odd. I hate to be like a stalwart, you know, because right, right when they make a... a Straight to video sequel, I am like, have gone through puberty and I don't care as much. So I didn't get to live a lot of the aspects of Aladdin follow ups, including the TV show. But it is beloved by a lot the next generation of kids. So hats off to that as well. I think it, I think it in a good way changed how Disney made movies because before they were just had to have a classical feel, they had to have musical numbers, and they uh, had to be cute. And this added in serious comedy. Adults will come see this over and over with or without their kids, and they did. This is hugely successful, way more so than Little Mermaid. I remember this Christmas of 92 very vividly. Mm -hmm. I was spending it with my mom, and we went to go see movies because we didn't have anything to do. I had already seen Aladdin, but I wanted her to take me to go see Toys. (laughs) And we went into Toys, and like 20 minutes in, I was like, can we just go see Aladdin again? (laughs) And she was totally on board with that. So I watched this in theaters twice 
rather than sit through toys. Okay, so my, uh, my stupid memories of this. One, I get involved in a traveling soccer team, and one guy, you know, we're traveling throughout the Southeast, not very far, but like, you know, day trips. Two of the people have vans with a TV and VCR in it. Everybody is falling all over themselves to get in the van with a VCR in it because we will watch Aladdin tw- up sometimes twice in a row on the way <laughs> to a, to a soccer games. And this is like when we're all entering puberty. It was still that important to us. And then my favorite memories of my grandma and South Florida was telling her how much I loved Aladdin. And she's like, oh, Christopher, I went to the video store and I got you the Aladdin movie. I'm like, what? This is still out in theaters. How did you do that? That's amazing. And I pop it in, and it is a cheap live action, <laughs> all shot in Miami. It, it, and it, the character's name is Al Haddon. It's set in the present. Holy, and I've never been able to find the movie again. So if you have any information on what the fuck that movie is, it's shot in the water park I spent many summers in that got blown away by Hurricane Andrew. That so anyway, Aladdin is the best. I think it's it's my favorite Disney cover art, the purples and the blues. I love the way their Agrabah looks. If you get to go to is it just Japan? They have this like fucking Agrabah city. Like, it, and it looks amazing. Like straight out of the cartoon. You can't, I can't understate how great that design is. I remember them doing some light redesign at Disney World to make it more noticeable. Though I think yeah, they but... made it Aladdin's magic carpet ride and made a couple of stalls in Adventureland Arabic looking. Yeah, but but because up until this point. All the Disney classical animation is pretty Western focused. So you get mm-hmm. your castles, but it's all very Anglo. And uh, just the bubbly Agrabah Towers appearing in real life is such a wonderful distinction. And Little Mermaid. The Little Mermaid stuff is great too. But anyway, I can't say enough nice things about Aladdin. I have a lot more animation to go off of in, in the second. So I'll try, try and end it. But hey, you know what? If you haven't seen Aladdin, we want to hear from you. Tell us why. Yeah, what's why? up? Yeah. What's your deal? Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, were you like we like the part of the reason why I said last week? I, I think this is the only movie I've seen three times in the theaters. Wow. Was because I had one friend who really wanted to go, and I was like, I guess I don't know. Beauty and the Beast was fine, but it was so princessy and girly. Because I'm a surly teenager at this point. Mm-hmm. Freaking loved it. Thought it was funny. Thought the animation was amazing. Parents wanted to go see it. I'm like, yeah, I'm down. Let's go. Let's yeah. go again. Cool. And then I had another friend who was like me. I'm like, I don't know. It's fucking for kids or whatever. I'm like, dude, this is actually really funny for grownups. Come on. And, and how Come much out. this movie ended up grossing, I think, adjusted like a billion dollars. And part of Robin Williams' complaint is like, I just asked you politely not to do a couple of things. And you gave me 75 grand with no residuals. Because <laughs> 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 uh, remember, like, we're sorry, Robin. Here's a fucking picasso that's how much movie the money money the movie made anyway move on moving on to television because i uh it's it's, a, it's an interesting week but what is it november 25th through december 1st not so much because of the saved by the bell hawaiian style tv movie on nbc everyone went to hawaii i mean it, yeah. was this just a big scam of every television show it's like hey we want a free vacation to hawaii i guess we're going to hawaii then i will only and say you know- i will only say having i grew up in florida Traveling to Hawaii was like just underneath going to the moon. When I moved to California, the flights there are like crazy inexpensive. It was cheaper for me to fly to Hawaii than it was back home to Florida for Christmas. Yeah. You could go to Hawaii sure, if, all the time. If you're going from the East Coast, that's got to be uh, nine, ten hours. Yep. Yeah. 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 Fair enough. Have, but have either of you been to Hawaii? No. Yes. Okay. A couple times. Now, 
when you were Hawaii, did the locals, Hawaiians, think that you resembled one of their gods? Jesus Christ. Does that happen in this movie? That oh, happens no. in this movie. And That's it's so Screech. Is it the best character? Screech. Yeah. No. Screech resembles one of the Hawaiian idols. He is C3PO to their Ewoks? God, I bet the Hawaiians love that. Oh, for fuck's sake. Uh, if we have any indigenous Hawaiians, please let us know your <laughs> thoughts I and impressions. I call upon Pele, goddess of volcanoes, <laughs> to smite them. Um, and then also out this week, cashing in on his uh, marriage, Tom Arnold <laughs> gets his own. This is his show, right? The Jackie Thomas show? Yeah. This, yeah. is, this is what everyone thought. Okay, you are married to the biggest female star on television. Here's your show. I actually remember really liking this show. It's about a obnoxious television yes. star. And no. I thought it handled it pretty well. It was like, this guy's a horrible person. We all hate him. And it's really like doing the whole Life referencing the relationship that Roseanne Barr had with her writing staff because ah. she had a similar reputation. Yeah. And I, I thought it was pretty funny at the time, honestly. I mean, that's the thing no one wants to talk about is that, especially at the time, Tom Arnold is a household name now in a way that most people considered very unearned. But he is yeah. actually very funny. And I've only seen like one famous person go to bat for him, James Cameron. He's like, he's going to be the comedic lead in True Lies. And he said he had to fight for that because no one wanted Tom. But Tom Arnold was inimitably funny. He's very, he's very yeah. good. He just was kind of annoying because he was sort of thrust in our faces by marrying someone we also liked. <laughs> and more. Paul Feig was on this. Ah, <laughs> amazing. He was still yeah. an actor. Uh, and then and... Tom Arnold did get a bit of an ego because the standard thing for a television show is they say we're not going to tell you if you're renewed until the end of the season in May. And he went on the Tonight Show. And said that if the network didn't review him early, he was going to move to a different network and possibly oh, Roseanne would follow him. Wow. And oddly enough, the network didn't like that very much. <laughs> and uh, who would have guessed? You don't say. Uh, uh, it was not renewed for another season after that appearance. Shocking, I know. Uh, more, more to my interest, Mystery Science Theater 3000's Turkey Day is having its second annual marathon Mm -hmm. I don't remember what was significant about this. So um, it's, it's, it's the first one with interstitials. Oh, great. They, they do little host bits. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. And it's 15 episodes. So it started Wednesday, November 25 at 6 p.m. and ended at 10 p.m. on Thanksgiving night. <laughs> and this, this might uh, be where yeah. I discover the show, actually, if I'm thinking well, about it. Because yeah, like, I, I didn't have Comedy wrong. Central. I would go to my grandparents' house in Ocala, Florida, and they had it, and I just never left the room. It was fucking amazing. Yeah, yep. the, the thing was Dr. Forrester was force-feeding TV's Frank some kind of turkey-themed uh. dish for each movie. But yeah, I remember at the time, the MST3K Turkey Day Marathon was literally my favorite part of Thanksgiving. Me too. It, it, like, uh, I was Mitchell is now, so is now my Thanksgiving tradition. I will watch Mitchell. Mitchell heart clogging. So just just other yeah. stuff for MST3K oh. fans. 30, 30, yeah. 30 years later, they've are still doing the Turkey Day Marathon after a little break, a substantial break in between. And uh, one, the inter those interstitials have been saved and now belong back to MST, even though they're sometimes very specifically say Comedy Central. And the new Turkey Day, they're saying, if you haven't seen it, they're, they're calling it surgically enhanced. Uh, but oh. by that, they they claim they have re-uprezzed re uh, those old episodes in 1080p, which is both not necessary and I 
doubt will look that good. I think I've seen some interlacing issues in some of the clips they've shown. Kind of want to see what that looks be, like. I'm going honestly. to tune in just to see what that looks like. I uh, cannot wait. Wow, I just realized this is the 30th anniversary of the Turkey Day song. Turkey that Day I song. Sing every single year to myself because I don't really know the original version. Mm. So these are my lyrics. Here's a special Thanksgiving hymn come, 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 come. from Comedy Central. We gather together to watch cheesy movies at Comedy Central on Thanksgiving Day at Mystery Science Theater 3000. It's 30 straight hours and it's called Turkey Day. Catch Turkey Day. <laughs> so, so if you haven't watched the new Turkey Day, it's Streams for free, and they have gotten the rights back to a lot of these interstitials. They put them in along with new stuff. Anyway, hey. I, I got to move on to the last bit of animation from 30 years ago because it's important, semi-important to me. I love saying this. From the mind of Lorne Michaels comes Frosty Returns, which is actually the fourth sequel to Frosty, the 1960s Frosty the Snowman. It has nothing to do with the Rankin-Bass version. John Goodman is... Uh, the, is... John Goodman does a solid Frosty voice, I, I mean, gotta yeah. say. And, and Santa. Big... <laughs> Uh, and and uh, Jonathan Winters is narrating. This is yeah. made by Bill Melendez Productions, who uh, is famous for making Charlie Brown specials. On the same week, it's Christmas time again. Charlie Brown airs. Uh, what would this be? Uh, almost thirty years to the day of it's a, uh, a Charlie Brown Christmas. Um, it is not made by Bill Melendez Productions for the first and only time because they are making Frosty Returns. Uh, yeah. It is very technically written by uh, Charles Schultz. It obviously it's fallen into some obscurity, which because is because it doesn't have a plot. It doesn't it's have a Christmas plot. Time be, again, Charlie Brown is just a series of comic strips. When they say written by Charles Schultz, action. unlike Charlie Not Brown Christmas, action. which Pretty Charles Schultz wrote, wrote for the special, this is just adaptations of things that happened in the strip. So it's a bunch of it's kind of a series of short, completely unconnected sketches that happen in the snow with Peanuts characters. And I don't think that was the right call. You know, the Charlie Brown Christmas special that we all think of has little vignettes, but they're all connected to a greater whole yeah. and they all go somewhere. I, I just don't think it's no, that it, it, great it, to be like, well, you remember that comic in the newspaper that took you 30 seconds to read? Yes. Here, here watch it, it over three minutes. And, and, and it lacks mostly the pathos and just utter depression that the holidays can bring on, which I think in an animated form... Charlie Brown was the first thing to fucking do that and nail it like that. It's still there's still something that speaks to me in the original Charlie Brown Christmas. This doesn't have any of that. And I'd say it's fallen in obscurity, even though it is a special feature on every fucking DVD that you can buy Charlie Brown Christmas on. It is buried somewhere deep in the menus. You can watch it anytime you want. And then moving on to games of 1992, Batman Returns is out on NES, a pretty good follow up to Sunsaw's Batman. It's a decent beat em up. Mm -hmm. Then we got Tecmo NBA basketball on NES. Tecmo. Never will they match Tecmo yeah. Super Bowl. And I don't <laughs> know why that is. I'm serious. Everyone, our age has some memory of Tecmo Super Bowl and it got a spiritual successor on Retro Bowl which is very popular these mm -hmm. days on iPad but every other thing Tecmo tried to do it's like I don't care yeah yeah but th what they were famous for was every sports game was bad it, John you may not, people might not even know that John Madden only agreed to sign on to giving his name to a football game if they could really get 11 players on field which technologically was a huge hurdle and fucking impossible and and he 
He's like, I'll do this if we can make it more authentic to the game of football. And Tecmo wasn't authentic to the game of football. It was just fun, where the other ones are not fun at all. I never played this, so I, I, I guess it didn't translate. What I do think is funny, Caesar's Palace on NES, a long time ago in Video Game Apocalypse, we looked up uh, what are the most worthless games. <laughs> and Caesar's Palace on the NES is one of the games, like, if you have it mint in box, it might not matter at all. No, nobody cares. What, See, <laughs> what game is this? Is it just like, a gambling game? You you are okay, in so Las Vegas. Casino games. Okay. Casino gambling. And when emulation first came on, I was like, oh my gosh, I can save scum and try this gambling game and win it. And it was like the most boringest thing ever. Because <laughs> how is that fun? <laughs> oh wow, I'm losing money, but not real money. Fantastic. And uh, but. Yeah. Comic book news, uh, to the 2099 uh, comic series starts uh, with Marvel, with Spider-Man 2099. Uh, this was a solid series. This was yeah. Marvel trying to expand a little outside of their regular universe. It was set in the Marvel universe, but mm -hmm. so far in the future that they were like, we're not touching any old storylines. Right. You know, it's 107 years in the future because it's 1992 <laughs> and spider-man 2099 is a solid character yeah. uh, he makes a appearance at the end of uh spider into the spider verse yeah. as a little oscar isaac teaser and i'm like super jazzed to see him because yeah. I, I think that's he's gonna that's it looks the, like he's gonna figure in prominently to the next spider verse but first mm -hmm. latino spider-man miguel yeah. o'hara Miguel uh, Oscar Isaac, you know, I, and, uh, I like that. Won. It was it was showing the future, you know. And if you look at statistics of uh, interracial marriages, yeah, you're going to get people like Miguel O'Hara. Yeah, and uh, closing us out with this segment out with music. Holy Mountain by Sleep is an album that is out, and an album and artist that looks like it was generated by AI. Live and Let Die by Cool G Rap. I don't know much about Cool G <laughs> Rap. If I'm selling him short, you can tell me. Somewhere in the comments of the Facebook group. Uh, but we got to close out, of course, this segment with I Will Always Love You by Whitney Houston. It is number one and will be for a while. Uh, for oh, three and a half months? Yeah. Hell it's yeah. going to be a while. Anyway, we, let's take us out, Whitney, but stay right there. We have basically a follow-up to Aladdin to talk about right after this. Coming into 2002 with Jenny from the Block from Jennifer Lopez off of the This Is Me Then album. I don't know what the ellipses are for. Quite the transition from Whitney Houston, I Will Always Love You, to Jenny from the Block. It feels like multiple generations of pop music have occurred in between yep. at that point. Uh, and this is a real moment in time because Benifer is so dominant a thing right now. We got to hear so much about her and fucking Ben Affleck and they will leave him alone again. And then he's in her videos and blah, blah, blah. And I almost went with an, uh, there's a song off of this album called Dear Ben, so which was really embarrassing for a bunch of years. Then it came back. <laughs> I didn't think about that. I love you. You're perfect. A manifestation <sighs> of my dreams. My lust, my love, my man, my child, my friend, and my king. Wow. wow. Sometimes love takes a while, but uh, to, to transition to 2002, 
Ben and J-Lo are Tom and Roseanne Arnold 10 years later. <laughs> uh, yeah. but, but when does the release of I'm Fucking Ben Affleck come out? <laughs> I think that, that's another 10 years. No, no, no. Okay. Uh, a couple years. A couple years. Uh, welcome to 2002, November 25th to December 1st. Other new albums that came out this week, I and I Survive by Bad Brains, uh, It Ain't Safe No More by Busta Rhymes, a self-titled album from Lil Beethoven, uh, Paid the Cost to Be the Boss from Snoop Dogg, uh, Phrenology by The Roots, Shut Up by Kelly Osbourne, Steal This Album by System of a Down, Tim McGraw and the Dance Hall Doctors by Tim McGraw, Better Days, the fourth the fourth posthumous album by Tupac. Ah, oh, prolific, even in death. Uh, Does This Look Infected by Sum 41, and Drew, Drew World Order by Drew Hill, and Emotional by Casey and JoJo. Ah, Casey and JoJo and Drew Hill. Get them confused all the time. Uh, Lose Yourself by Eminem is still number one. So much music in 2002. So little music in 1992 or 2012. Why? What is happening? I want to think it's, man, the holiday season just like opening up to where like we have some releases that come out a week before Christmas, which is something that never, ever happened. Traditionally in 92, people are like, people are done with their Christmas shopping. No, Christmas Eve is the highest trafficking shopping day on earth. So, No. Also in 2002, transitioning from music into news, the concert for George, a benefit memorial for George uh, Harrison, who gets held at Royal Albert Hall in London. It features Eric Clapton, Paul McCartney, Ringo Starr, Jeff Lynne, Tom Petty, Joe Brown, oh God, uh, Anushka Shankar, Shankar, Billy Preston, and members of Monty Python. Mm. Yeah, I wasn't there, but it's very big of Eric Clapton to be there, given how they... Never mind. Also, in internet... Uh, they stayed they stay bros, no yeah. matter who was married to, to Patty. <laughs> yeah. The internet meme? Do we have an internet meme that's turning 20? God, I hate that. That makes me feel truly yep. old. As uh, close as I can tell, this is the 20th anniversary of the meme, every time you masturbate, God kills a kitten, with a kitten running and a Domo-kun chasing it. Domo-kun, wow. I, I wasn't aware of this meme. <laughs> oh. All those kittens. Were you... Oh. No. Oh, I'm a mass murderer of kittens, apparently. Yeah, I I prefer the the follow-up version, which is every time you post that meme, God kills a Domo-kun. Please think of the (laughs) Domo-kuns. I love Domo-kun. Moving on into the movies of 2002, a lot to talk about. You thought I was done talking about animation, but here we are. Two of them. I know. Two up against each other. Why? Why Uh, It's it's family time for Thanksgiving, man. I don't know. Yeah, one of these is not for families. That's true. But it's it's one, uh, and then yeah. one of the uh, Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets is number still number one of the box office that we can all understand. One of the silliest fucking movies I ever tried to watch. Rufus Sewell, Rupert Graves, Bridget Wilson, Sampras, and Devin Sawa in Extreme Ops, just like a super <laughs> silly sub triple X James Bond ripoff uh, franchise non-starter. Extreme Ops cost forty million. Wow. Oh. And I have to think they spent that all on snow. <laughs> not not yeah. not the snow you ski on. The other ah, type of snow. Ah. Sometimes yeah. even more expensive. Extreme snowboarders accidentally run into a war criminal who tries to kill them. Extreme ops, baby. <laughs> Boo. You mean the war criminal is gonna pay me to snowboard? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yes, yes. No, it means you're being chased by helicopters. You better snowboard away a lot. Extremely. Extreme ops. Uh, oh, so dumb. Uh, and then a movie I thought I saw, but I was thinking of the black and white ant attack movie, Them. It's They, with Laura Reagan, Mark uh, Mark Blucas. 
That doesn't sound like a real name. Ethan Embry, Demagra, Dominic Zig... John Abrams. I'm not on top of my game today, pronunciation-wise. But They, a movie called They. It It's B-minus-C-plus horror film. Mm. It had a really interesting concept, but they failed the execution. Mm. Uh, the idea is that when you're young and you have night terrors, you get a little mark and it goes away. But when it comes back, that's a sign that the creatures that were terrorizing you when you were young are coming back to eat you and good scary concept it didn't have the acting chops to do it have either of you ever had a night terror not no, that i know i don't of. think so no so i've i've only had like one or two in my life and it is a utterly terrifying experience so ah, care bears i was I was in some dark wood lost, wandering around, and uh, this is my dream, of course. And I come across a witch demon-like creature. I know she's evil. I know she wants to kill me. I rush at her. I start choking her. Okay. And as I'm squeezing my hands around her neck, I start to feel my own neck being Mm. squeezed. Mm. So as I'm squeezing her, I'm squeezing my own neck, and then I bolt awake and I wasn't breathing. Were you choking yourself? No, I just had cut off all breathing. Oh. And that was like the scariest thing I've ever experienced. I don't know what you're describing here, but remember how we lost David Carradine. You need to be careful. This (laughs) wasn't a thing. I wasn't choking myself. My, the closest I can describe it is as a form of sleep apnea that only Mm. happened one time ever due to whatever that dream was moving on uh john show ehrlich Takur, jeremy davies who was fucking awesome in this viola davis natasha mckellen uh and george mucklehone and george clooney in solaris very i thought a pretty damn decent movie but not one i felt compelled to watch again Uh, i've seen both the original and the remake they are very similar Um, yeah and, and and steven soderbergh is the director here you know he's a movie nerd and knows how to remake a classic, and by classic I mean an obscure Soviet movie uh, that is very well regarded. Yeah. yeah, he went back to the book mm-hmm. um, that it was based on and tried to pull stuff out of there. Yeah, I mean, it just had Solaris hitting, or the, the Russian Solaris hitting 50 mm-hmm. uh, in Classic Corner. I did not, unfortunately, go back to rewatch this, but yeah, I remember it being pretty similar, yeah. uh, still really good. You know, it's if Event Horizon were about grief mm-hmm. <laughs> instead of about uh, opening a hellmouth. You know, these folks are on a space station and like we lose contact with them. George Clooney's got to go out, find out what's going on. And it turns out like spooky shit, like dead people are showing up and talking to folks and like his wife who's dead keeps coming back. Like he gets rid of her and she keeps coming back. (laughs) And yeah. And it's about like dealing with the grief and sadness and feelings of loss. And it's slow. It's psychological. Yeah, mostly people complain that it's like, wow, this is slow. And it's like, well, what did you want? Yeah. Like, do you know stuck, where this is coming from? It's stuck on a space station. <laughs> uh, it, wow, it got There's a cinema. Any gunfights? I'm sorry. Because I thought it was good, and I'm seeing it got a cinema score of an F because there's Oof. really nothing crowd pleasy about this. Like, mm. yeah, uh, ooh, tortured by my own trauma, stuck in a spaceship. That's what this is, and it's not entirely pleasant to go back and rewatch on a regular basis. Also, <laughs> people thought it was a sci-fi movie, and it like yes. it totally isn't. Yeah. So. Also unpleasant to go back and rewatch. 
Good. <laughs> All right. Uh, let, let, let's let's stretch ourselves. Get ready. Why are there more not any Hanukkah movies? I thought we were in charge. I, I mean, we run everything. The only reason That's you what they tell me at the giant meetings that we have when we plan to take over the world. The only reason you got this movie, period, is because not only Adam Sandler, but Adam Sandler had made Eight Crazy Nights a phrase that people would recognize by writing and rewriting the Hanukkah song. So yep. he had literally the most famous Hanukkah song of all time. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I like dreidel. It's I like the dreidel jam. The dreidel song. I'll oh, tell you so that good. much. <laughs> I sing it to my cat all the time with her name in it. You got your typical Adam Sandler cast, John Lovitz, Norm Crosby, uh, uh, Norm Kevin Crosby. Nealon. Crosby. Yeah, that is that... such an old timey comedian. I love it. Rob Snyder, Austin Stout, uh, Jackie Titone, Adam Sandler. Adam Sandler's in this? Eight Crazy Nights. And what do we have? A very... Of the moment Extremely of the moment trailer. I love when we find these. Yo, if you had just one night, or maybe eight, to ruin the holidays, to poop all over the season, <laughs> would you be naughty or would you be nice? Oh, shut up! You better get ready for this movie, the madness, the man, <laughs> the movies, the party roll. Oh, my God. One shot to see it, believe it, November 27th, get ready to go. Eight crazy nights. Can I pay money to listen to this for 90 minutes? Here, take my money. I I I don't want it. I want to listen to that for 90 freaking minutes. Oh uh, good lord. Oh yeah, let's have this voice for 90 goddamn minutes. Now that is a character named Whitey, who I think comes huh? from the albums and was previously played by Dana Carvey in Little Nicky with the same voice. But it's Adam Sandler in this movie. It's a basketball you know ref, all I remember. The worst thing about this movie? What? Everything? It is gorgeously yeah. animated. This, this is... is some top-notch animation stapled to roadkill. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> this is a horrible story with beautiful animation. And it could have been the Hanukkah movie. It really could have. If they would have had this good of animation to match a B minus plot, just a run of the mill Christmas movie, make it about Hanukkah, B minus, but keep this level of animation, give it some heart. But it's not. It's about a drunk Jewish dude in his early 30s having many runs with the law, looking like he's going to go to prison. So he uh, will obviously be the great person to run our youth sports center. Um, <laughs> Mr. Judge, as a parent, I, I don't <laughs> like this plan. Uh, so, yeah. so my, my big question, though, is this movie is so damaging to Hanukkah that does it qualify <laughs> as an anti-Semitic film? <laughs> there are a fair number of broad stereotypes, not just Jewish ones. There's a very broad Asian stereotype, and it's I believe it's Rob Schneider who's like, well, it's I'm Rob half Schneider. Filipino. I'm allowed to do that. And it's like, you're allowed to make fun of Filipinos then. You're not yeah. allowed to be Chinese. Uh, there. But I'm I, laying down the law. But he famously played Son Yi on Saturday Night Live. Yeah. <laughs> to Dana no. Carfee's Woody Allen. Oh, no. good times. No. Sorry, yeah, Diane. Like, Sorry, Diane. Uh, I, I, like I, I love Christmas. I do it up big. And I had this lovely lady in her 70s, probably my best friend on the street. And she was Jewish. And I kept trying, like, look, I want to incorporate some Hanukkah into my Christmas in my holiday decorations. I try and keep it non-denominational. There's not even a Santa out here. It's mostly Snoopy and the Grinch. Uh, and then I just send her stuff. And she's like, what did she call me? This is very sweet of you, but 
listen, Gentile, we don't, <laughs> we don't need this kind of inflatable horse shit for our holiday. Just don't, how about you just don't do it? Here's a strand of blue lights. Put that up. I'm good. I don't need your le- Christmas level of celebration for Hanukkah. Nope. See, my, my wife is Jewish, mm-hmm. but she loves celebrating. And yeah. she loves celebrating uh, the Christmas season because for me and for her, it's honestly completely unconnected to religion. And we do get Hanukkah decorations and we put them right next to the Christmas decorations. Mm-hmm. And for our family, that works. And we're all happy with that. It, it's yeah. uh, I, that, I, I'm the same fine. way. And I'm and I'm a I'm a Jewish and I've never celebrated Christmas. I put up a small tree because my husband is not Jewish and only sure. did that during COVID when he couldn't go visit his family <laughs> oh. and do his regular Christmas stuff. I was oh. like, okay, you're right. We should, let's do both. So I have my, my plug-in menorah that's cheesy as hell. And when we got a little Christmas tree and we decorated it and yeah. And I celebrated Christmas like with friends, you know, when I was a kid, like have a slumber party at, you know, Christmas Eve and yeah. And it's never bothered me to not participate in christmas because it's literally someone else's birthday Mm. do you feel bad when you go to someone's birthday party and it's not your birthday no no i'm happy for you to be happy i know i just i've I've invited diana on more than one christmas podcast and she's like god this can't this is is this a little much and and the only thing i can compare it to is the way people get crazy about sports and it's the only time they like decorate their house and change their wardrobe to say like, hey man, here's this fun thing we all do. That's why I like it. I love I love putting a costume on my house. That's why I think the vast also, majority of it is secular in nature. It yeah. really yeah. is. The vast, yeah, vast that, majority is a secular celebration that happens to fall on one religion. But, but then all the like celebrations are taken from different religions. Mm-hmm. You know, the you I don't want to be that guy. You know, actually the Yule log is a pagan tradition, but you know. There are bases for all those. Don't call things. it what it was originally called. It's got the F word in it. It really does. Yeah. It really yeah. does. Yeah, you're yeah. right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Throw yeah. a bunch of F words on the fire. It's the ashen blank. Yes. Yeah. Myth yeah. of worship, all that stuff. But, all right. So, getting back to eight Crazy Nights. So, yes. I did so, research to find out, like, how many Hanukkah movies are there? And there oof. are some Hallmark ones now. Mm-hmm. They do one or two every year. I've tried watching them. And uh, a lot of them seem to think that... Jewish people live on Mars and have never heard of Christmas and like Christmas what's that and it's like <laughs> believe me I know more about Christmas than most Christians yeah. do I know all the words to the goddamn songs I know you are so steeped in it in this culture that there there is just no avoiding it and there's some Christmas movies I like and my my complaints about Christmas is just how overwhelming it is all the yeah. time and I see y'all and I see how many of you are not happy the stress is real and, and what, you don't seem to be enjoying Christmas. Well, Christmas and I think you guys it, should just back off. Christmas is so overwhelming that yeah. even in this alleged Hanukkah movie, it still feels like a Christmas movie because the imagery is nonstop and ubiquitous the right. entire time. Yeah. It's still Christmas mm-hmm. imagery, even though there's a menorah too. Big deal. God. So, yeah. They needed Hanukkah Harry to make an appearance. We really... Lovitz is there. He's Lovitz is there. Could have done it. Where's my Hanukkah Harry? So, yeah, as far as I can tell, the only actual Hanukkah movie is The Hebrew Hammer. (laughs) Fantastic film, by the way. (laughs) Which is pretty funny. The, the, like, the sole thing I remember from it is the montage of Santa trying to convince Jewish kids to celebrate Christmas by handing out, like, VHSs of It's a Wonderful Life while Pusher Man plays. (laughs) 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 Anyway. 
I appreciate them trying to make something that is specifically set at Hanukkah, but also Christmas because they tend to overlap anyway. If it would have been kind of funny if it was about an early Hanukkah that ends like December sixth. Because sometimes that happens. Sometimes Hanukkah yeah. starts at Thanksgiving, and uh, yeah, there's nothing I, I we remember do the it. Thanksgiving Hanukkah of a few years ago. Yeah, Thanksgiving was kind of cool, actually. <laughs> you know, it was perfect because, like, Thanksgiving—that's like my Christmas. It's like, yeah, I want everyone right. to come together and we eat too much and we fall asleep. Indeed. But here's the thing: it's animated and it's beautifully animated. It, it yeah. looks like the Iron Giant. It is. Like it's, the it's the team. That's where. That's I where. So. That's where they 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 found refuge after the collapse of the studio and the failure of iron giant. Many of the animators on this are from acclaimed Japanese studios and from, uh, yeah, Warner brothers, the Warner brothers team that made iron giant, but it's also not a kid's movie. Yes. No. Adam Sandler is drunk, disorderly, you know, not, I have this in my pro category for this movie. (laughs) That's in, in, yeah, but they don't highlight in any of the ads. They talk about Adam Sandler from Big Daddy. You you loved him in Big Daddy, and you'll love him in Eight Crazy Nights. And it's like, how long into the movie are we talking about crapping on someone's lawn? Okay, knocking over porta potties, fine. That he's, but a, he's the same character as the lyric. he's the same character as in Big Daddy. It has the same tone as Adam Sandler movies, like a hard PG. Yeah, yeah. but this one, there's a song lyric about whether it's okay to walk around with your morning erection in front of people. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I like Not that for the children. I like that JR brought this up because it, uh, it w- yes, it's from a lot of the people who made Iron Giant sadly had to take refuge working on this film and it's too it's way better looking than it deserves, which mm-hmm. uh, that alone makes it in my opinion worth a watch if you've never seen it and you're an animation fan. There's not a lot of PG animation PG-13 animation movies. It's PG, but it's goes a little PG? harder. Yeah, it goes oh, a little it harder. PG-13. You think so? Come on, they're not actually swearing but there's enough talking about like dicks and boobies and whatever that i would put it in i mean PG-13. cartoons a 13 year old it's fine for 13 year olds for eight year olds maybe not. animation i love it like watch family guy now i think that show would be rated r if it came out in a movie theater but because it's animation it gets away with murder on network television it reminds it is me officially pg-13 okay okay i couldn't find okay. that, that so what, what it reminds me of is it was both it's related to an article i did of something I thought was crass, the Chipmunk movie, where during an animation mm-hmm. strike, the Bagdasarians and his wife, who directed the movie, got all these amazingly talented animators to work on what should be this shitty, stupid Chipmunk movie, the Chipmunk adventure. Sort of the same thing happens here, and it does something that has only happened, like I think, like a dozen or so times in history where they animate real brands and have... There it's is... The, so much product placement. The mall is a character. So I have I have a clip all, of, the, of the mall. All of the stores are real brands. Real brands. So listen to this. Whitey will... You want a pair of socks? My buddy Mr. Footlocker will warm your feet. You need a fancy new tag? Hello, sharp image. Thanks for the combination pogo stick clock. This goes on for another 90 seconds with every brand, and they eventually come to life and sing to Adam Sandler. And I, I the point I was making in that... In the Chipmunk movie, they have like a very real box of uh, buh, 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 Honey Nut Cheerios with the B on it. Like a real brand in an animated movie is like literally illegal to do on television for the things you're forcing on children. There's never been an animated Game Boy Advance, as far as I know, <laughs> in anything else. But there's a very real Game Boy Advance in this movie. It's fucking crazy. Right. And Chris Farley's brother as the Panda Express Panda. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> but uh, all mm-hmm. that crazy. Tom that- Kenny is the sharper image chair. I'm looking at him now. Ellen Albertini Dow, the rapping granny from a previous movie. This is these candy box. Blake the- Clark as the Radio Shack walking dead. Tyra Banks as the the, uh, the nighty from Victoria's Secret. The super crass and product placement. them so many times. Yes, the ultra crass product placement in every Adam Sandler movie is amped up to such an insane degree here. I am shocked that like the FCC wasn't like somehow notified. How did you get away with all this, all these brands and their real logos in this stupid fucking movie? I don't, yeah, I, I don't I, hate I this movie as much as you guys. Wish there had been one nice, cute Hanukkah movie I could put in the Christmas movie rotations. Like, there, there's got to be at this point, the streaming platforms, someone's got to be hitting that. What's Diana, what's the Jewish no. streaming platform? Which is the, the one uh, most Jews subscribe to? I thought all of them are because we rule the world. <laughs> yeah, there kind of aren't. I was just listening to the Blank Check podcast mm-hmm. and they made an interesting argument that besides like this is, Eyes Wide Shut, obviously, is a Christmas movie, but the idea that it is a Jew's idea of a Christmas movie, mm. <laughs> it was an interesting discussion they had. Wow. Yeah, my favorite Hanukkah movie is, is Raiders of the Lost Ark. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, it's, I, about a, it's about a Jewish artifact that melts Nazis. Hell yeah. Good times. Good times hell yeah. yeah. And speaking of animated films, pretty ballsy of uh, Columbia to go up against Disney, but, but this does highlight the eras of Disney and their fortunes and misfortunes, like a super big high with Aladdin. And you bring the same creative team doing almost the same thing, adapting a classic classic tale a little more modernly, way more modernly in the case of starring Patrick McGowan, the prisoner, Roscoe Lee Brown, Laurie Metcalf, Michael Wincott, uh, Emma Thompson, Martin Short, David Hyde Pierce, Brian Murray, and JGL, Joseph Gordon-Levitt in Treasure Planet. Jim Hawkins. We are so out of here. Ben. <laughs> I've lost my mind. And. What is that thing? A more. On November 27th. Go, Delbert. Go, Delbert. Brace yourself. Three unlikely heroes are taking on the meanest cyborg in the universe. Pirates on my ship. Oh, mama. Get mom. Walt Disney Pictures presents Treasure Planet. Rated PG. Get ready for a hug, big guy, because I got a hug. Treasure Planet. I, I would assume most people don't like this movie, but I was just in that Disney store outlet. This year, there is an ornament with a 20-year symbol on for Treasure Planet. So there's got to be fans out there. I look forward See, to buying I, it discounted at the end of it, Christmas. You said there's a, every Disney movie is yeah. someone's favorite Disney movie. I would have loved to have seen the universe where... Atlantis, the last empire, treasure planet. Oh, what's the other one? And empire, uh, uh, A Titan E become like the trend for the early twenty yeah. first century instead of Shrek. Yeah, I oh, thought it was stop. a. You're, yeah, you're talking I'm, about you're talking about that timeline where uh, George Lucas dies and Jim Henson doesn't that I keep writing about. Yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> uh, but this was ballsy. This yeah. was experimental. Mm. This was not your Disney princess. This was not your standard thing. And this was a passion project that was what 14 years in the making yeah yeah because uh it's one of the most i think if you calculate the undisclosed production of being being actively in production for that long this is one of the most expensive movies ever made and this is also what leads into disney's purchase of uh marvel and star wars because they can't seem to captivate young males in the way they used to they they still have kind of a lock on the ladies and and the kids but teenage adult males they're losing and this is the perfect example of that this is geared 
directly towards them and nobody cared but it's it's yeah. my, my dad i remember he he loved uh, treasure island and this is it was called treasure island in space that's how it spent the most of <laughs> yeah. most of its time in production loves that movie it's been told a thousand different times kids love that movie young boys love that movie and i think this looks on a looks level it does feel like it feels like a branch of animation that either ended or we never got, like an alternate universe cartoon. It is very mm -hmm. expensive, very lavish, very good looking, does all the right swashbuckly things, but is I, I can't pinpoint exactly why I don't love, love, love this movie, but I love looking at it. I just mm. love looking at it. It's it, so it's... weird looking at what, the, uh, what Disney is doing at this point where they are just ping-ponging back and forth and like, we, we don't know what we're doing mm -hmm. anymore. <laughs> Like, okay, Tarzan, or, you know, Mulan, did good. Tarzan, pretty good. Fantasia 2000, no one cares. Emperor's New Groove, long, troubled production, but ends up being fun. Atlantis Lost Empire, bombs. Lilo and Stitch, does great. Treasure Planet, bombs. Mm -hmm. I just, then we get I to Brother think... Bear next year. Yeah. It's like, they just don't know what they're doing they, anymore. They will, they will abandon this, this type of animation, like, two movies later. I get it. I just don't think this or Atlantis deserve to bomb. I think these are both. This is better than Atlantis. Nice experiments in yeah. using the medium of animation yes. to tell something other than your fairy, fairy tale. tale, something yeah. other than yeah. your wackety schmackety sidekick does his crazy routine. You know. Yeah, because before uh, before we loved pirates again, this is a really good representation of swashbuckling. Yep. in a movie it really That's it really looks point. good this is a this is a lone pirate movie mm -hmm. out there long before we got pirate movies back and then they went away again yeah, yeah. but yeah, uh I, it was mm. there was it was a mix of 2d and 3d which i thought was intriguing as an animation style and i forget the technical name for it but it was some new type of t 2d animation that was like used on this film and then never again because it was so expensive mm. but oh this is a gorgeous film yeah it looks really really mm. good but again i, I don't love its story enough or its its characters enough to like and I'm, I'm like 22 so i did not see this in theaters right. i saw this way later have you ever enjoyed a treasure planet movie treasure island yeah of course treasure island yeah okay. yeah so there, there's yeah. a good there's a good there disney one versions. on disney plus right now yeah it's pretty good but uh, totally yeah. but, but like you know uh, talking with my dad about this stuff he grew up reading the books and loved all the adaptations that they would make an adaptation of treasure island like every five years in some form and this is yeah. It's kind of the last one made for the mainstream. It, it's just weird to see Darn that it. type of, not pop culture, but but that type of folklore or classic literature disappear from relevance. But it, it happens, you know? It, it happens all the time. Like, like Just like Aladdin. Like Before there was Aladdin, classic Hollywood loved a, a, Arabian tales or things adapted from 1001 Arabian Nights, and that just kind of fell by the wayside. The modern audiences didn't give a shit. And bringing it to space is... An interesting stopgap, but there's still something classic-y and not new enough that I felt like Aladdin had and this didn't. It's mm. totally worth a watch. It's just a gorgeous thing to behold. Yeah, I I thought that I had watched this and I realized I was thinking of Atlantis, mm. The Last Empire, which I do think is actually pretty good. Or, or Titan Watching... A.E. Titan A.E. is a lot in common visually Titan with this. Titan A.E., there was a, yes, it, it wasn't perfect, but as, as a signpost of where things could have gone yeah it, like there are some sequences in that that were fantastic it tells a, it tells a better modern story and is visually much more crude than this so mm -hmm. so they're... watching clips of this though it was kind of hard to tell because you guys actually watched it you can help me on this was was some of the animation dated or just very strange 
because there were some of it. It's like that kind of looks like a PS2 it's, render. It, when you see that, it's it's a little jarring. It does look like mm-hmm. certain aspects of like the FMV era, era video games, where you'd put a human character in a CG environment. They're two kind of incohesive styles. And I say Titan E is cruder. There's a lot less detail in the textures of the environment because the characters don't have a lot of textural details. They're not 3D animated characters. This amps that the the backgrounds and shit way up while the characters are super traditional. And that can be, it, to me, it's what makes it awesome to look at. But yeah, I think the audience were, they wanted Pixar and this is like a half step towards the picture. Mm. But they, they, they do some amazing shots that you haven't really seen in a traditionally animated film. And it, it's worth checking out. Again, it's like, it's like that dead branch of the history of animation. Like, yep, it, it's it's a really cool thing to look at in terms of, of historical milestones in that medium. I will say, I think they made a mistake. This hmm. should not have been a Christmas movie. You think? This film was up against Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets. Hmm. Santa Claus Two should have been a summer movie. This is not Christmas fair. Hmm. Yeah, that's true. Do you think it was a mistake to do anything traditionally animated anymore, though? Because we're we're after Monsters Inc. too, and we see how incredible digital well, uh, animation. Well, the has last gotten. one is the Princess and the Frog, and I will. There's a huge gap in between. Oh, in between I will them. go to bat for that. A, one. But yeah. that that was an intentional effort. Like, no, Pixar should do its thing, and Disney should do its thing. That's when Pixar takes over. Mm-hmm basically the mm-hmm. creative control of the entire Disney company. But uh, yeah. it can't be denied that even, even I think the CG Disney animation movie failures, which I'm lumping in like Chicken Little Anyone or, or Meet the Robinsons, Bolt, those didn't catch on and they were like Disney CG animated movies. So they were really at like kind of an odd crossroads. That's why I love talking about Frozen because it's like, okay, this looks modern and feels like Disney in the right ways. And they find, they, they, I think refound themselves and have been doing a great job with their movies ever since. But yeah, this is this is another struggle in the history of Disney theatrical animation. But mm-hmm. I, I thoroughly encourage people to check it out. If you have Disney Plus, it's it's hiding in there somewhere, never showcased or brought to the forefront, but it's in there. Uh, why why hasn't Emma Thompson just done voices for everything for real, forever? For real, yeah. she's, she's I. I mean, I love her in live action, but she can do clipped British headmistress soap. Beautiful. There's, there's uh, ah, Edgar Wright has been sharing y- clips from the young ones in honor of their four fiftieth, fortieth anniversary, eighty two. What are we talking four, about? Fortieth anniversary. Fortieth anniversary. Oh, is it the, the university challenge? Episode? Yes, and like, and she's yeah. playing like a super heightened comedic character you wouldn't normally think is her, and like, yeah, she could totally do shit like this. And, and finally, getting Martin Short into a major animated character, much applause, <laughs> even though you know it's sort of annoying but and unnecessary a lot less necessary than the genie is to the plot of everything but yeah i, I encourage people to check out uh, this kind of lost classic you ready to move on to television november yep. 25th through right. december 1st ah a 28 season show and counting god reality television is weird barefoot contest 28 seasons i mean yeah. it's a it's a cooking show so it's not quite reality tv this is you know one of those lovely success stories the barefoot contessa was just someone who wasn't happy in her bureaucratic job decided to start her own restaurant with no training made a success out of it published a cookbook out of it that cookbook exploded she got a television deal and 28 seasons later she's still cranking them out Mm. Uh, her goal was always to cook things an average cook could make with things from the supermarket. So she was never like the fancy, these truffles from the specific region. She never Dr. Oz's up, up, yeah. up the joint. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I for some reason I heard she worked in the CIA. Apparently, she worked in the the White House Office of Management and Budget. Yeah, she was got a budget. bored. Yeah, yeah, she got <laughs> bored being a number cruncher. That's that that is a good story. I love yeah. that. Just like yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna try yeah. this now. And then she eventually, I'm assuming, affords a pair of shoes. Good for her. Good, <laughs> Never. Good for, good for her. And as Jr. has promised, we are revisiting. Kind of as much as we can. There's not a lot from Clone There's High. There's not a lot. Sleep of but Faith. I don't know if you saw. They have absolutely confirmed, yeah. even after the shakeup at HBO, more Clone High is Well, coming. it's it's Viacom. Yes. yes, I take credit for that. That was me. <laughs> yeah, good that. job, JR. It's, it's Viacom, so it's, it's, it's immune to the people who make 28 seasons, who think everybody should operate on the budget of the of Barefoot Contessa. <laughs> uh, <laughs> fucking discovery. But uh, this episode is hilarious. Abe is forced to Lincoln. stay awake to help Cleopatra study for the equivalent of their SAT test. And they have a drag race at the very end for Cleopatra's love between a very sleepy Abe Lincoln and a JFK who's not sleepy at all. And we get this classic clone high line, which I quote all the time in ways that make people uncomfortable. <laughs> Nothing bad ever happens to the Kennedys. What? <laughs> How Malcolm oh, X of you. Uh, <laughs> oh, dear. Oh, I'm so glad. I see the next thing, and someone beat me to the punch on what clip I wanted to play for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. It's time for starring Rob Lowe, I think. Starring the TV movie? Rob Lowe. The TV movie the starring. The Christmas Shoes based mm-hmm. on the song. Yep. <sighs> Which the, the clip the clip you have is my only knowledge of this as a huge fan of Christmas. I never heard of this before and haven't dug into Look. it much since. The little kid just wants to buy shoes for his mama who's dying because she's going to meet Jesus tonight and wants to look pretty. Wow. You know, they usually don't put your shoes on when you're in a coffin. (laughs) Shrink. Yeah. Really? I didn't know that. It's really, so, I mean, you're, it's hard to get your shoes on. So they. So what you're don't. telling me is when the zombie apocalypse happens, we're going to have a lot of barefoot zombies. Yep. Mm. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, zombie apocalypses, they never deal with uh, the, the makeup they put on or that they sew people's mouths shut and all that. Okay, yeah. now now I want a, a zombie apocalypse as seen through the eyes of a mortician who can yeah. use oh, they... all of his knowledge to fight the zombies. Fuck yeah. Oh, they can't see me. All their eyes are packed with cotton. Uh, yeah. Not a problem. I'm out of here. Fuck you. All right. The, sorry. The Christmas Shoes. Christmas Shoes. Um, uh, I, have Oswald. Heard, uh, I have heard this song and it made me want to throw up. And But Patton Oswald will summarize it better than we can. <laughs> There's a guy in line. He's a little cranky on Christmas. God looks down and sees this. Somebody in a bad mood on my son's birthday? Bullshit! <laughs> Give that kid's mom cancer! <laughs> Make sure he's in front of him in line. Make him seven cents short for the shoes. This guy will buy them, and then he'll be in a good mood. I believe that last year SNL uh, made a parody song of this in Paul, with Paul Rudd. It's during oh, that really? weird episode where there was a new strain of COVID. So there's like six people in the studio, including Tom Hanks and Tina Fey. And there's no studio audience. It's the only time they did that during the pandemic. And the one thing they shot before everybody was uh, sent back into... Uh, what, what, forgot the word quarantine is the Christmas shoes parody. I forget what it is. Look up Paul Rudd Christmas shoes. Hard pivot into something I've never fucking heard of. 
at all. Either. And I don't dislike those Brady Bunch movies. Uh, I like the first one quite a bit. The Brady Bunch in the White House with Shelley Long and Gary Cole reprising their roles. Yeah, all the kids yeah. are recast. Sure. And Alice but... is recast. Exactly what it freaking sounds like. Mike becomes president what? and he gets uh, his what? wife what? Uh, to become vice president. What? <laughs> what? Johnny Bravo is president? Every... He forces everyone to live in a, a split-level ranch from the rest of time. Okay, so so uh, Mike only becomes president because the sitting president resigns. Okay, and then when when he's trying to convince the Speaker of the House of Carol's ability to be vice president, you know how he wins the Speaker of the House over mm. with a song and dance number. Oh, Gary. Oh. I love him. Never heard of this. I've never heard of this. It apparently appeared on, I think, ABC or CBS, and no one liked it and is forgotten. But I can't believe I didn't even notice an ad for it in 2002 because, yeah, I actually really like the Brady Bunch movie, too. Honestly, entirely because of Shelley Long and Gary Cole. Mm -hmm. The rest of it can go to hell as it, far as I'm concerned. Gary Cole is so great in those. You got to wonder if it's because this is airing on the same night of NBC, kind of a forgotten piece of Muppet Minutia and a significant one. They kind of were out of box office clout and uh, yep. had made a TV movie. But it's even most of their, some of their TV ventures were usually in conjunction with ABC because Disney was always, you know, smelling around buying the Muppets. But this is made for NBC. So I have this on DVD. This is not streamable. It's there, There's nope. a version on Aww. YouTube that includes the commercials, but it, very significant tracking errors on v, recorded from a VHS. A huge cast. What's so silly is like perhaps the most famous person 20 years later is Joe Rogan. <laughs> Joe Rogan in this <laughs> Muppet movie. Uh, Molly Shannon with a great appearance. The entire cast of Scrubs appearing alongside Miss Kip. John C. McGinley, Bill Lawrence, Neil Flynn, Snoop Dogg, Carson Daly, Sarah Chalk, Zach. Braff, Mel Brooks, uh, <laughs> William H. Macy, Whoopi Goldberg, Matthew Lillard, Joan Cusack, and oh, starring David Arquette. It's a very, a very merry Muppet Christmas movie. I enjoyed the heck out of this. I it went back has... and forth between like, ugh, like, oh, this is really cool. <laughs> this yeah, is really funny. It, it references so many past Christmas movies. About half of it is It's a Wonderful Life. Yes. Only with Kermit. And that was cute. Putting on, and... a, putting on a modern musical production of A Christmas Character calling it Moulin Scrooge. <laughs> Pretty funny. And, and like it, 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 The most significant thing I think about it, if you watch it, and we have a clip of an example of this, I think they do, there's a couple gags in here that you would not be allowed to do under the Disney umbrella. No. And no. Uh, here's, here's one cameo specifically that shocked the hell out of me, even though I I haven't seen this in 20 years. Kermit's calling up all his famous friends for to do cameos. I understand, Mr. Schwarzenegger. Hello, Mr. Rogers. Hello, Angelina. Oh, hi there, Brittany. Hello, Nicole. Oh, gee, yeah, I could sure do with a little star power around here, uh, Triumph. Uh, is there any way you could help me out? Muppet movies are always the best. <laughs> you mean that? For me to poop on! <laughs> cannot believe that's in there. <laughs> uh, but yeah, yeah, there are a couple of ribald jokes yeah. in this that I don't think the House of the Mouse would allow. Yeah, and, and that Disney would acquire the Muppets lock, stock, and barrel two years later. And yeah, I think this movie's kind of lost. They don't have any. They don't have any skin in this game, and I'm not sure if they can even release it. It's it's always a money thing. It's just, do we want to write a check to someone to get this? I, but they they, they the did for that. like stuff like Great Muppet Caper and and, and yeah. stuff like that. But I, so I'm I'm a little surprised. But they have another 
Disney Christmas Muppet movies, Letters to Santa, that exist as well. So how much do you need? I need all the Christmas Muppet stuff. I love it all. Let's get into oh, games boy. of 2002. Gauntlet, Dark Legacy comes to GBA. I, I think I never say this enough. Gauntlet's kind of the first video game I ever played. One of See, the first console games I ever played. Gauntlet, the original one in the arcade, mm-hmm. is a dream that I can never fulfill. Because when I was young, I always wanted to have unlimited quarters and play it and just get to the end of Gauntlet. But I grew up and I can certainly emulate it and have unlimited quarters. But the thrill of it is gone. You know, once you have that unlimited power, there's just no there there. It's not interesting to me. No, I'm with you on that. Even uh, even this is this is what 2.0 version of the revamped Gauntlet four player arcade thing for GBA, and then Legends of Wrestling two on PS2. Diana loves wrestling talk, so let's bore you with this. Yeah. WWE is not the only, at this point, isn't the only wrestling video game in town, but kind of every older wrestler not under contract with WWE, they make a game to include all your old favorites. And they have an amazing addition to this one, which blew me away. Do you know who that is? Who? Andy Kaufman. Oh, awesome. Awesome. (laughs) Massive. I, I just went to a beach with no television other than a DVD player, and I brought my I'm Hollywood documentary, the last standard definition DVD I bought. And it was this year. Great new Vice special on that stuff. That's one of the, in my opinion, the Andy Kaufman wrestling story is one of the greatest pop culture stories in history. Please. Yeah, pretty awesome. It's amazing. Also out a game I'd never heard of until this very moment. Should have looked it up. Gremlins. Stripe versus Gizmo for Game Boy Advance. Don't know nothing about it. I him. think this is the best Gremlins game of all time. Oh, Gremlins 2 from Sunsoft on NES? I don't know. That music yeah. is amazing. Gosh. I think it is. Yeah. And I want someone out there to make a zombie-like Gremlins game. Mm. You know, where you are fighting hordes of Gremlin and have to stop them from reaching water to m- make new Gremlins. So you don't even want to think about the idea that these are all Gizmo's babies. <laughs> Killing no, its own children. This Gizmo is the only <laughs> nice Mogwa. The second he has babies... Oh, right, they suck. They suck. Yeah. They suck as Mogwas. They're horrible Indeed. as Mogwas, and they just... I, 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 I don't even actually know what how much worse they are as gremlins than as mog right they, they and they wanted to be gremlins yeah unlike gizmo huh gizmo does not want to go evil oh man i got a lot of research to do on iago and gizmo at this point but that <laughs> wraps up our 2002 segment dude we got a lot to go over in 2012 so don't move but we're gonna close out with i know what you want by busta rhymes featuring mariah carey is this something i missed oh no this becomes a huge hit uh heading into spring of next year mm. but it comes out now and yeah it's uh it's a banger all right, well, take us out. Busta and Carrie will be right back. Don't move. Baby, if you give it to me, I'll give it to you. I know what you want. You know I got it. Baby, if you give it to me, I'll give it to you. As long as you want, you know I got it. Baby, if you give it to me, I'll give it to you. internet and all the ships at sea it's time for diana's classic corner we go even further back in time this week to see if there's anything worth a watching and for the week of november 25th through december 1st oh how i do love synergy we were talking about aladdin 
and Gilbert Gottfried's characters' names are Iago, and this week we have the 70th anniversary of a version of Othello, where the bad guy is named Iago. From 1952, gradually, like it might actually be 1951, it might actually be 1955, because it's an Orson Welles movie, and he could never ever ever get funding, and it took him forever to get anything finished and then released. But his version of Othello, colon, The Moor of Venice, an adaptation of the Shakespeare play, it's pretty straightforward. It is also phenomenal. He made a bunch of Shakespeare adaptations. I'm not a fan of his Macbeth. Chimes at Midnight is a masterpiece. You should totally check that one out, too. But his version of Othello is really, really good because it's filmed on location in, like, Morocco and Tuscany and, like, somewhere in Spain, I think. And it's all in these, like, incredible castles with like giant stonework and these deep shadows and it, it's really good really really good i wish he had just gone crazy and like i'm going to adapt every goddamn shakespeare play maybe he could have gotten funding for that from like the uk government or something unfortunately orson wells a white man plays the title character as was custom at the time white people could play any ethnicity and people who are ethnic could play nothing not even their own ethnicity so that sucks he's in blackface it's it's a black and white movie so it's a little less horrifying but he's got you know like the woolly wig on and you, you really just goddamn, you you wish there's so many good black actors back then who did not get the roles that they deserved it would have been very nice if orson welles just cast someone else so that does put a real damper on the movie but it still is a very good performance and visually it is so so beautiful so i have to recommend it but obviously asterisk and then turning 40 this week is the best picture winner from 1982 that is gandhi directed by richard attenborough starring ben kingsley also john mills martin sheen candace bergens in there john gilgood edward fox trevor howard all old-timey british guys being like what's this gandhi fellow up to See what independence for Inja is pretty good. It's about as good as a movie about Gandhi is going to be. You know, it's tough to film because it's a whole life and it's very complicated. Ben Kingsley gives basically the perfect performance, and it really hinges on that. Also, fortunately, we are not having an Othello-type situation in that Ben Kingsley is half British and half Indian. His dad is Gujarati, and his birth name is Krishna Pandit Banji, but he's from Yorkshire. It's pretty good. It's pretty long. Obviously, it's, it's three hours. It has a cast of hundreds of thousands. I mean, they, wow. They, they do some very big crowd scenes. Richard Attenborough wins the Best Director Oscar and pretty much immediately turns around and says that should have been Spielberg for E.T. And Spielberg rewards him by putting him in charge of Jurassic Park. And those T-Rexes could have eaten him. So I have to throw that in there because, like, several generations of people think Richard Attenborough is, oh, the kindly old man from Jurassic Park, and you realize, no, he was actually a very important director for a long time, plus an actor going back to, like, the 30s. So, yeah, Gandhi from 1982, it's, it's pretty good, light recommend, I guess, generally. And there's one more thing. Speaking of Iago, I've got to add in, we were talking about Gilbert Godfrey playing Iago. There is a documentary called Life Animated that y'all should check out. I'm surprised we forgot to mention this. It's about really heartwarming story of this kid with autism who was not very communicative. I don't think he was fully nonverbal, but for whatever reason, the character Viago really spoke to him and he could communicate a lot better. Basically through this character, having a puppet of Viago, he, he would talk to the puppet, he would explain himself. And there's a, a very sweet documentary called Life Animated uh, about this kid and his journey, Gilbert Gottfried, you know, coming on board and helping him. And someone who you think of as just 
a very, very crass comedian. He had he had such a big heart. R.I.P. God, I miss him. And that's it for this week. Stay classic. Coming into 2012 with Diamonds by Rihanna. It is number one this week. Welcome, Rihanna, to start. I don't know. This song is great. Dude, Umbrella came out when she was 19. That's crazy. She's a baby. I still find myself like kind of humming this one a little more than Umbrella. I don't know why. Uh, November 25th through December 1st, other uh, notable music releases. Genesis has a new album out just in time. Woe is me. Oh, no. Genesis by Woe is me. (laughs) My bad. My bad. My bad. Look at my... Uh, my inner boomer came out and almost ruined that. Warrior by Kesha is out, as we heard from last week, and The Female Boss by Talissa. I'm guessing that's the name. A little bit of news to bring you into what's happening 10 years ago from this week. Uh, the UN uh, votes to approve uh, Palestine status change from an observer entity to an observer state. I don't understand what that means, but so I'm assuming it's some progress. So the other non-member observer state is the Holy See. What? Oh, the Vatican. Oh, the Vatican. I thought you meant like the water. No. Okay. No. Uh, the Holy S-E-E. See is the official name of the yeah. Vatican. I, look, I don't. State. I'm not trying to prove I'm the dumbest member of this crew. It just happens <laughs> accidentally every so often. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome, Palestine, yep. to hopefully some yep. channel After of diplomacy. This, smooth sailing yeah. for the Palestinians. Jesus. Jesus. Anyway, moving on to movies of 2012, November 25th through December 1st. Twilight Breaking Dawn Part 2 is still number one at the box office. You know why. We all saw it. We all loved it. <laughs> <laughs> they ripping off heads. Also out this week, Colin Firth, Cameron Diaz, and Alan Rickman and Gambit. The highly awaited X-Men movie. I was so removed from pop culture in 2012 because I was in my baby bubble Mm -hmm. that, you know, there were those X-Men movies, X-Men Wolverine, X-Men Origins, whatever. And I legitimately heard Gambit. Oh, it must must be an X-Men movie. Yes, with Alan Rickman as Gambit. I will charge these cards, mon frere, and then I'll throw them (laughs) at you. Unlimited power. We did not see Gambit. No, this is not an X-Men movie. This is a remake of a 1966 movie that originally starred Michael Caine. This time we got Colin Firth in the role. They've been trying, they've been kicking around a remake of that for a super long time. Because it's about like con men and art thefts and doing switcheroos on fake paintings and real paintings. And the original is like a ton of fun. It's Michael Caine and Shirley MacLaine. And it's swinging 1960s London, baby. And this one, just... uh, They've been kicking around for so long. It is credited to the Coen brothers, the screenplay. Wow. And apparently even they couldn't quite pull it together because reputation was not good. The reviews were actually pretty rough of just like, where's the fun? Like, this is supposed to be fun. And it's just, there's no charm. There's no fun. It doesn't pay off. It's been a long time since I saw the original, but I, I love pretty much everything Michael Caine did in the 60s. Even the bad ones are fun. Mm-hmm. And this is just like, oh, man. And, doesn't work out. And and then we had a movie, like, if I had more time, I would have liked to have seen, because we've been very complimentary of the work of Stephen Frears on this program. Uh, yeah, we are. Yeah, he's got a, he's got an odd track record, but, like, a crazy amount of critical hits throughout four different decades. Just a very odd, dangerous liaisons, high fidelity, like, uh, Philomena, like, 
seriously, oh, yeah. like films you I, I like I even even I have a difficult time attributing that was one guy who did all this stuff. <laughs> You're so different. The Queen and the Grifters and Mary Riley, but uh I saw the title Lay the Favorite and like what the fuck does that mean? <laughs> and it turns out it's one of uh, Stephen Frears' less regarded movies with Bruce Willis, Rebecca Hall, Catherine Zeta Jones and Jones and Joshua Jackson. Yeah, and it like barely got released mm-hmm. with I mean that's a strong cast, but it's about like professional gamblers mm-hmm. and gambling addiction, which is fun because we're going to talk about more gambling in, in a second with the quote unquote biggest movie this week, which is pretty small. This is a weird week in 2012 where no yeah. one's bothering. Really? I, like, I guess they're just. I got to wonder if like, Twilight. I don't remember where Thanksgiving fell exactly this week, but I have a feeling it was either it was, may have been closer to last week. And that's when the big films came out. That's my guess is it was last see, week. I legitimately wonder if you can like transition from being a gambling addict to being a game addict <laughs> like because for me it's always like fire the same neurons hmm. i have i have many friends who i consider have gambling addict tendencies who yeah you can see that from their game the way they play games and stuff yeah i uh, i just recently this weekend played a eight our board game called Diplomacy. Ooh. That's our JR. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, it was intense. Diplomacy is a board game where it's all about convincing other people to trust you and then betraying them. Ah. Hmm. It's it's yeah. very fun. I highly recommend how it. I, but it would... was wiring because I'm taking these gambles as I'm playing the game and it totally feels to me the way it would if I was sitting at a poker table with mm. these same people. Only instead of money, we're we're trying to conquer Europe. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then, oh my God, I'm never going to get this name. Matthias yeah. Scott. Do it. Do it, Diana. You do it. I'm going with Skinherts. S-C-H-O-E-N-A-E-R-T-S. And there's, there's a couple Cotillard. combinations in there meant to screw with you. And mm-hmm. Marion Cotillard, who mm-hmm. also has some screwy names. Uh, yeah, Rust and Bone. This is what a weak week this is, is that this is like the second highest grossing new release. It's a French film about a man who's in love with a woman who trains killer whales. And then she gets her legs bit off. And and then they must their love continues. Critically acclaimed, Marion Cotillard always gives 110%. But yeah, it's a weird week, man. I admit that I didn't get around to watching it. Because there was one movie I was the most excited to see, which is the follow-up to one of my favorite movies of the decade, uh, the previous decade, Assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford, written and directed by Andrew Dominic. He just made Blonde, right? He did. Mm-hmm. And I made the mistake of trying to finish Blonde last night and stayed Oof. up till like two it's, in the morning. Yeah, man. It is, I have thoughts yeah. about Blonde, but... Let's not talk about Blonde. Uh, but Let's uh, talk it, about this movie and, and Blonde solidif- solidify him as a very odd, I don't care if you like this filmmaker, and I'm still mm. baffled. I've watched this movie three times now. This is what I watched this week, and I watched it again, trying to like find a way to enjoy it, even though I sort of appreciate what it's doing. Oh, I loved it. But an utterly know. unpleasant film <laughs> with... with a, Seemingly a lot to say because Vincent uh, Cartalo is that is that Johnny Sack? Johnny Sack. Johnny Sack. R.I.P. James Gandolfini. R.I.P. Richard Jenkins still with us, baby. Uh, Ray Liotta. R.I.P. Jesus. Uh, Ben Mendelsohn, Scott McNary, and Brad Pitt, and killing them softly. Today I'm living in America. In America, you're on your own. Time Magazine raves. Brad Pitt delivers a star performance with skill and charisma. 
Do the best I can. Killing them softly. Right. I can't believe they play like the last line of the movie in the trailer, yeah. which mm-hmm. is the closest it gets to like telling you what its theme is. Because I'm, it's a the movie is much smarter than me, I think, but it's telling the story of two guys that knock over knock over a poker game, a mafia poker game, and Goop McNary and Ben Mendelsohn, who is unrecognizable yes. as the dirtiest dirtbag ever. I couldn't believe this came out after Dark Knight Rises, where it's yeah. like he's always in a nice suit, he's always very threatening, and this he is such a junkie they're hired to knock over the card game run by ray liotta previously ray liotta had knocked over his own card game so the thinking is and eventually admitted to it but he was higher up and everyone laughed about it and they just assumed Uh, they'll blame him again if this happens again so we'll have an automatic scapegoat yeah so they they knock over this card game of course Ben Mendelsohn's high. One of them talks because they're fucking morons. And yeah, Brad Pitt is basically hitman coming in to figure out, all right, who who did this and, and who needs whacking? First, everyone thinks, yeah, it is Ray Liotta. And he gets his ass beat. In brutal, really brutal beatdown. Brutal beating. And like, I feel so bad because like he starts crying. During and he didn't do like, anything. Oh, <laughs> he really actually didn't do anything. It's just um, not how so- every, every time you see a star on screen, I think this movie gives you the perception they're going to do something awesome, not yep. be cantankerous and disappear or die. And that's what happens with everyone. Yeah. So there is a scene in this I find so incredibly funny and, and creative. I do love Andrew Nichols directing on this. The scene where uh, the two guys who knocked over the card yeah. game get back together, shoot a bunch of heroin and talk about how things are going with them. And the camera keeps it's from each of their point of view and they keep nodding off in the middle of important information. (laughs) So it's just like, Oh yeah, no, it's great. But I did tell this other guy that we did this and the camera kind of goes black and then kind of comes back. Wait, did you say you told someone it was us? Well, yeah, but it goes black again. But you know, it's cool because he doesn't know. Yeah, but he works for this, so it goes black. It was so fucking funny. It's it's such nodding off over and over. And if they would just stay awake, they would realize you are completely fucked now. (laughs) I recommend people watching this. I I didn't find it. Was it streaming anywhere for you? Like I found it on through nefarious means because it's Mm -hmm. it's hardly a classic and. I read that this, this is a, based on a book about a crime story that he thought was analogous to the financial collapse. And the movie is literally narrated by George W. Bush and Obama talking about yep. financial bailouts and what's happening yeah. with the economy. It clearly takes place in October 2008 because they're talking about there's always these news stories of the financial collapse that parallel with what's going on with the criminals. It, it, and it yeah. ends with Obama's election victory speech, right? Yeah, it is. It is one of the bleakest fucking things I have ever seen said in the real world. Like, it feels like the end of the world. But funny, though. I thought it was real funny. Did you? Yeah, I thought a lot of Daniel Feeney has some funny lines. Um, Mostly. Yeah. How dumb the dirtbags are. Mm -hmm. How matter of fact the hitman are. And then Brad Pitt has this problem of like, well, one of the guys that I'm going to have to kill, he knows me. He'll see me coming. So could we contract out for James Gandolfini? And we find out James Gandolfini's a hitman with a whole bunch of problems. It's been a no. while since Brad Pitt saw him, mm-hmm. since the Mexican, frankly. <laughs> <laughs> I thought about it. Where he also played a hitman. We can uh-huh. just pretend it's the same character. And, like, he's not really stepping up to do the work. <laughs> and it's like, well, now we got to pay him, but I still have to do the job. God damn it. Can I get more money? They're like, no, you can't get more money. Oh, man, this sucks. I, this, yeah, I, I thought it was really funny. It's 
the problem is you really have to pay attention to the characters' names. You can't be looking at your phone because yeah. they keep mentioning some guy, and I'm like, who the fuck was that? And then I have to look it up and realize, wait, they're talking about Sam Shepard, who appeared for 30 seconds at the beginning of the mm-hmm. movie, and it turns out, oh, he's important. Ah, I kind of hate when they do it's, that. Like, it's it's one of the more. I'm not saying I'm disappointed by it because I realize there's a lot. There's a lot more. There's a there's a challenging le- layer to this film, major layer that mm-hmm. like I was not prepared for, given the straightforwardness of assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford. I thought this was going to be my new favorite director after that film, and he's only done two things since. So I'll keep watching him. But man, Jr., you d- did you dig this movie? I didn't see this. Okay, movie. yeah, it, it's yeah. it's very very strange. It was one of the movies I was looking forward to the most. That I was like, what was that? Holy shit. <laughs> <laughs> Holy shit, what a, what a dark perspective on our modern world. It, it, it feels like all the bad things that happen in The Wire put into like, put into like a, a 90 minutes of, of mostly cri- uh, like cri- mob-based crime stuff. Every, nobody yeah. ends the movie well, except for Brad Pitt, who's not even the most major character in it. No. It's, it's worth watching, but man, I, I would love to read like a smarter person's take on it. Because uh, mm. if the funniness didn't pick up on it any time I've watched it, I really didn't. No, you didn't think Mm-mm. it was funny. The, when they go to rob the game, they have a sawed-off shotgun yes. that is one of the funniest props I've ever seen, though. Because he's sawed it off so short. If you that, fire like, that, you're going to kill everybody, including us. Like, and... the stock is no longer than it. It's like <laughs> the shells are sticking out yeah. of the Right, and he's right, like, right. uh, yeah, no, uh, just tell everyone that. If I pull this trigger, we're all going to die. <laughs> it's like, it looks so silly. I've never seen anything that looks like that. I would love to see someone shoot something like that. I'm pretty sure, yeah, everyone would die. Okay, the, uh... the fucking shells. <laughs> I, I I can't not recommend it, but it's a film I have like really weird conflicting thoughts about. It is beautiful to look at, though, in, in, in oh, the most yeah. dreary it's... of scenery. Ah, uh, New Orleans. Which they're pretending might be Boston, but Mm. no, it's all filmed in New Orleans. Wow. If you were to pick a city least like Boston, (laughs) I don't think you could do better than New Orleans. I, so I have they to... do some nice tricks of like trying to hide, you know, distinctive architecture, and it's all like down by the docks and under the freeway. Yeah, but... they they tend yeah. to they tend to film in a lot of places. You can shoot someone in broad daylight and no one see you. That are filled with trash. <laughs> the movie opens with swirling garbage. It is, it it is a damning statement on, I guess, of the American economy. It is an angry an angry movie, and I do like yeah. an angry movie. I just can't, on a personal level, on an individual level, make very much sense of it. I'd love uh, to hear I what think you think. If... If it were longer, I would be less enthusiastic about it. I really mm. liked it. It's like 90 minutes flat, interesting characters, fun fun turns around, really goofy comedy of incompetent criminals. Always a fan. Goofy, yeah. I would not call it. Holy God. And so, yeah. Really gratuitous yeah. violence. Uh, oh, true. Slow... And yeah, Ray Liotta crying. Ray Liotta, get it, like, <laughs> it was so like... If you, if and you then saw... he barfs on the guy's shoes, and then the guy kicks him just for that. Barfs oh. blood all over his shoes. It is... It is... Oh. A challenge, a brutal film. <sighs> let's 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 lighten yeah. it up with a little right. TV holiday. Feeling them softly. Big recommend for me. I really liked it. We got a TV movie on TV this week during uh, what oh, is God. it? November twenty fifth through December first. Theresa Russell, Grant Bowler, Lindsay Lohan, and Liz and Dick. Oh my God, this was a disaster. <laughs> Lindsay Lohan was having. Uh, we're into the the troubled phase. We're is well into like the troubled phase. Fifth time trying to be like I'm clean. I can act again. Cast me in something. Yeah, and it's a TV movie about Liz Taylor and Richard Burton, um, in which she does nothing to act like Liz Taylor at all. 
everything seems to be shot on a green screen, which just makes it very straight. It's like, we're at the Spanish Steps now in Rome buying diamonds. It's like, you are not. You're in a basement. <laughs> uh, it's, it's, it's really bad, but not only occasionally funny bad. Mostly just like, well, I'm, I'm bored now. <laughs> same, I'm bored and I don't care. Same place where I was years ago trying to watch the TV movie Home Alone, The Holiday Heist. Let's abandon the McAllisters altogether. Get that out of here. It's a separate family, separate what, world. And Which number no are we on? Is this five? five. This is okay. five. And this is what I was making the point of last week on Home Alone 2. It was not really realistic to get the wet bandits back. And yeah, they had to get Kevin to go through the same thing. But no one cares about the Home Alone expanded universe. You are never going to get a Into the Home Alone verse where all the kids get together and you have people caring about whoever was in this one. You don't, you don't, think, you don't think it's going to have like a Fast and the Furious uh, resurrection, like the fifth one's just going to bring Macaulay Culkin and all the kids back together? <laughs> I think there will be another Home Alone with Macaulay. I, I don't. I don't. Mm-hmm. I don't. Just from learning that he got five percent of the gross of a billion dollar movie, if he said no thus far to the Disney money, he's going to keep saying no. Life happens. Does he have kids yet? I don't think so. Mm-hmm. Well, he'll get kids. He'll want to set them up for life. I'm pretty sure sometime he will be in another Home Alone movie. I, I don't think so, because they only got Buzz back for the last one. <laughs> no one else. They <laughs> couldn't get anybody else back. It's a horrible film. That's why I'm saying they need to do it, like, bring back as many of the cast who is still alive, get them all back, because that's the only Home Alone people care about. Yeah. Yeah, but most of them um, are dead or refuse to act. Joe Pesci <laughs> and, and Macaulay Culkin will not be in anything. Maybe they'll have to make it the uh, Pete character. He should be the new dead. Repeat and Pete. Uh, Hitch for the Holidays is also out because I care a lot so, about it. This is oh. a semi-Hanukkah movie. Yay! So hey. a Italian man, Catholic, breaks up with his girlfriend right before Thanksgiving while a Jewish woman is seeking a temporary boyfriend to get her meddling Jewish mom off her back. And so the two agree to pose as each other's significant others for Thanksgiving, Hanukkah, and Christmas. And then they develop real feelings as they're pretending. Uh, well, as long as um, it's not depicted as like, I don't know what to do at Christmas. Am I supposed to eat the tinsel? I'm so confused. I've never heard of a tree indoors. What is this? You, you, sound, you sound like Allison Bree's song in the Glee episode of Community. That's exactly what I was going for. You smarty, me dumb. I don't know anything about Christmas. Uh, Stars Joey. Sex. Stars Joey Lawrence, uh, Emily Hampshire, and Mary Lou Hanner. Yay. Wonderful. And then... I'm sorry, ladies and gentlemen, the last of the Universal Soldier friend. Why is this on TV? Is this premiere on television? This was a video on demand, okay. so I put uh, it under television. Okay. I I don't know where we want to go going forward, honestly, if, if we, we want to have this conversation off mic. But when it's a movie, but it premieres on a streaming service, do we put it under movies or do we put it under television? So, so behind the scenes, pulling back the curtain a little bit, we typically... I'm not even sure we expressed this to JR. Like things come out different places all the time, but because we only have our memories are attached to being American, we talk yeah. about things 
with American releases. But but like the reality is Universal Soldier Day of Reckoning probably had theatrical releases at some points in the world. That's where John Claude Van Damme made most of his money. So oh, okay. it, it, it definitely counts as a, a movie, but it's yeah, it's hard to nail down what the release date is because it may have hit theaters like a year from now in fucking Prague or something. And yeah. <laughs> but it's not it's not not like it's not worth talking about. This is the only other Universal Soldier film worth seeing, according to many of the reviews I watched, it's got Jean Claude Van Damme and Dolph Lundgren back in it their does classic the roles. Fast and the Furious thing where they bring back everybody that people liked originally in the series, and since they're now but years later, yeah, they're, yeah. since they can now no longer command Hollywood salaries, they're back, baby, and uh, the return marks like this like soft reboot with the original characters, and this is a follow up to that. Uh, there's again. some good solid fight scenes there's one which i would call downright excellent where mm-hmm. it's in a sports store and they're just <laughs> doing jackie chan grabbing oh, every wonderful. sports equipment they can to fight each other <laughs> i thought that was really good and you know this for an aging direct to video on demand sequel to an action franchise that was never that great to begin with this is solid it's nice to know yeah. it is nice to know uh speaking of solid action Let's talk about video games, even though it's a terrible transition to one of the first games we'll talk about in the period of uh, November 25th through December 1st. The MMO City of Heroes is shut down. I I, I rarely remember. Most MMOs kind of do have a lifespan where even the people playing them are sort of like, yeah, I've I've had my time with this. I'll come back for the last hurrah. But City of Heroes is one of those, I think, still lives on in fan servers. Like people... What happened was it shut down. It was still making money when it was shutting down. They just wanted the servers for a new game they were releasing, and they were just like, this is making money. It's not making enough money, so we're closing it down. There was no big event, which I think was so stupid of Mm -hmm. them. They should have had, like, this is, so for those who don't know, City of Heroes is an MMO where you're a comic book superhero, okay? (laughs) So it's got comic book plots, comic book book villains all that stuff yeah, we can't have and iron if, man in here but you can make one and call him that if you want to yeah then... exactly it was really beloved by the comic book community when it came out you know very niche it premiered way before the marvel cinematic universe mm-hmm. so the comic fans were like awesome somewhere to play around with you had a lot of fans invest in their characters you had this all built up the world was cool. It had comic books, novels based upon it. And then when it was time to shut it down, they just shut it down. It's a comic book universe. They should have said, there's an alien invasion yeah. and all of you superheroes <laughs> have to band together to stop it. And I, then one of the only things succeed I, and the universe dies. I that a, would have been ending. I had a rough time working at PC Gamer because it wasn't always my wheelhouse. But one of the things I did that I was most proud of I think Star Wars Galaxies was shutting down, and I wanted to look at, like, in the early days of video captures, there were some people who captured, like, the last minutes of these fucking dynamic universes that close. And usually everybody... The Star Wars one is... They, like, eliminated size restraints so you could have a giant Darth Vader doing the Cabbage Patch on Tatooine. Like, it it just got absolutely nuts. And, yeah, to not have any kind of hurrah... Is this the one where they they turn over the code to, like... No. No. Someone illegally stole the code and kept it running in secret for eight years. Yes. And during that time, (laughs) this was probably regarded as the biggest lost piece of gaming. There was no way to play it. No one had any copies. We didn't know if they had any copies left at the parent company or if it was just on some hard drive that was getting water damage. This was a huge game at the time, and it was thought, this is one of the rare instances of a big video game getting lost forever. But some nerd out there 
copied it from the company, the source code. ran it illegally, the source code, <laughs> for eight years until it leaked out by some uh, bitter nerd who was like, oh, well, you guys suck for letting me play in your illegal server. I'm going to tell the world about the illegal server. And then they were like, wow. oh, crap, we've been running this illegal server. Are you going to sue us? But it was so many years later that they were just like, oh, oh, yeah, I think anymore. the developer was gone by the time they <laughs> yeah. found this out. So uh, you can play this on fan servers to this day because it has that much of love of its community. And wow. I think that's a pretty heartwarming Very story. notable. Baldur's Gate Enhanced Edition is also out for PC. Take it, JR. I'm not a Baldur's Gate guy. <laughs> uh, I'm not a Baldur's Gate guy ah. either. It's a classic RPG that I never played, and I never played the reboot. So as I understand it, it fixed 400 bugs that were in the original. So that's something. That is something. Red Bull crashed crashed ice. Red Bull crashed ice connect. So yeah, you're in a winter sport competition and you skate through a frozen urban cityscape turned obstacle course, presumably while downing Red Bull. (laughs) You do collect Red (laughs) Bulls as you go. This would have to be that way with the Adver Gaming. Again, if you want to hear more about more popular video games on our Patreon, patreon.com slash lasertime, we got a whole big episode about the launch of the Wii U 10 years ago and its anniversary with Steve Guntley of the Wii Universe podcast, which we recommend if you want to deep dive into the little system that couldn't, known as the Wii U. Uh, We'll be doing something with that on Video Game Apocalypse this week. That's the plugs I'm getting out, but I want to stick around because I'm going to tell you who died and do a quiz you can play along with about who was born during this period of 302010. Di, where can folks find you at? They can find me on the Twitter at ListeningNerd, L-E-C-I-N-E-N-E-R-D, or follow the show at 302010podcast. That's 302010podcast. Coming up next week, Eddie Murphy's going to Congress. Wow, that is a forgotten movie. Holy shit. Yeah, I think it might not actually be streamable, unfortunately. One of the worst sequel comedy sequels I've ever seen in my life. We have a terrible comedy sequel with Billy Crystal and Robert De Niro. <laughs> More importantly, we have a, a Matrix ripoff wherein everyone should yes. be deaf because they are firing guns right next to each other's head while kung fuing each other. <laughs> and also, also Bill Murray is a president. I'm not going to tell you which one. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what that is offhand. All right. Additionally, we have arguably the birth of South Park. Huh. Oh, wow. 92. For I, Christmas time. Yeah. 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 Uh, we also have, arguably, again, the very first real time strategy game. Mm. Oh, hell yeah. Can't wait for that one. I'm going to tell all my friends to listen to 302010 next week. And you can't find Jesus Christ. Oh. They're all here. Of <laughs> and even that is debatable. But uh, who, who died during this period? I died. Well, in 1992 is when we lost fashion designer Emilio Pucci, who is 78. Let's the rockin' the dog. Out. There you go. All right. You're welcome. And uh, it all comes together. And like we were just talking about Andrew Nichols and Blonde. Marilyn Monroe was buried in a Pucci dress. Right. She's, he was a very important, influential designer, especially in the 60s. But he, but, ha- he had to go uh, home. His planet needed him. Well, after he died, everyone <laughs> just looked around and said, where's Pucci? <laughs> Oh, <laughs> uh, I didn't think it could get better, but it did. So with those deaths out of the way, it's time for the it's rebirth. It's time for the birthday quiz. Oh, birthday is a doodly-doo, a ding-dong, doodly-doodly, ding-dong-doo. So they are no longer with us, but if they were, they would be turning an even 100. Whoa! Whoa! All right. Yep. Born Minneapolis, Minnesota. Grew up in St. Paul, 
was drafted into the United States Army. He served in Europe. JR. With, yeah. Is this an artist or an actor? Oh, keep it going. It is a artist. Keep going. It is an artist. Keep he going. He had a 50 caliber machine gun and he never fired it in combat. He had one opportunity, but a German soldier surrendered. Wow. Pussy. <laughs> Just kidding, Germany. His first published work was called Little Folks. Little Folks. And it was published in June of 1947 to 1950. A title he preferred to the one that actually that got stuck to him. His mm-hmm. nickname is you. Sparky. <laughs> I've been to his skating rink. Mm-hmm. I'm going to list you the specials that would have appeared on 302010. Not oh, all God. of them, just the ones that would have appeared on the show. There's Happy New Year, Charlie Brown. Snoopy, the musical. It's the girl in the red chuck, Charlie Brown. Why, Charlie Brown? Why? Snoopy's reunion. It's spring <laughs> training, Charlie Brown. It's Christmas time again, Charlie Brown. It's my best birthday ever, Charlie Brown. It's the Pied Piper, Charlie Brown. A Charlie Brown Valentine, Charlie Brown's Christmas. He's a bully, Charlie Brown. Happiness is a warm blanket, Charlie Brown. <laughs> Those would have all appeared on 30 2010, and there's about 20 more that would have not oh shit did we miss flash beagle or was it before it's before our time sadly very sadly but but Uh, way too late in the disco era flash 80s in depth on that i'll dude i I was in an after school program that was the only vhs they have i love flash beagle (laughs) (laughs) we we haven't actually said his name yet charles charles sparky schultz A man who turned his depression and infidelity into an indelible children's comic. (laughs) Uh, That's amazing. Wow. Charles Schultz turning 100. 100. Theoretically could have been still alive right now. Theoretically. Could have made it. Yeah. Some artist who made it that long. He is. But he's also one of those people, like, almost the moment he stopped doing what he did, he died. Yeah. Mm. It was like, what, a week after he quit? It was like two. Yeah. Like two weeks, I think. Wow. He, I think when the strip, it, he died like the week or two around the last his last re- new strip airing, airing, yeah. uh, being published. Yeah, yeah. hear that, listeners. Yeah. Work until you die, otherwise you'll mm-hmm. die early. That's that's the lesson. Yep, that's true. And I I get lots of emails from the the Charles Schultz Family Museum in Santa Rosa, it's California, beautiful. and they keep advertising because they have an ice rink there. They keep advertising toddlers on ice, and it's like it's... I kind of do want to drive up. It's like two hours. But it's, toddlers it's, on ice. I went there one. The only way to make toddlers funnier is to make them fall over. <laughs> I went there one time, and one, it's astonishing and beautiful. And like he built facades of fake homes all around the ice stadium. Because Diane and I are from warmer climates, and whenever I watch something like Tanya Harding wanted to be in the Olympics, because because your career after the Olympics is where the real money is. You touring around in these skating rink venues, which. I didn't grow up with. I don't know if Diana grew up with those. And Charles Schultz, when he moved to Santa Rosa, is like, we don't have those either. I want to build a venue to house these things I'm used to seeing. The ice capades. Uh, these, when a figure skater wins a gold medal, they'll come and do tricks in your hometown. He ne- so he built one in California. It almost caught on fire the, a couple of years Ooh. ago during the California fires. Yep. But yeah. And they had to evacuate. It mm-hmm. was pretty scary. He is an amazing artist. If yeah. you look at the comics that came out at the time when Peanuts came out, they're not really readable. No. I, I would never voluntarily read them. But the original early run of Peanuts has such a depth to them and such a yeah. sadness that you didn't see. Yeah, a melancholy it's, it's and really... existential dread that like 
I don't, I, uh, Diana, I always tell her about that. I, I don't think it's, it's a layer. I think people who watch it don't get beyond the cute characters and the cute things that they say, but they're really mm-hmm. questioning the nature of their reality in ways that are difficult for some adults to confront. And I've always appreciated that about Peanuts, especially the, the specials that have come out. I really love it and um, can't get enough of the Peanuts. Man, Charles right. Schultz, so, love that guy. Yay, Charles Schultz. Wrote four oh movies. God. No one gives him any credit for that. Four movies. Yeah. Name another comic artist who did that. Uh, Race for your life, Charlie yeah, Brown. Yeah, bon yeah. Voyage, Charlie Brown. Snoopy, come home. You're, uh, oh. The Charlie Brown one I'm forgetting the name of, yes. Oh. <laughs> All right, so... Not only we talk about a lot of animated movies this week, we mm-hmm. talked about a lot of musicals this week. We, we got three sure. three musicals, so I figure we got to go out with something from Aladdin, Eight Crazy Nights, or The Bodyguard. Yeah, Ooh. I'm gonna leave it up to you guys. I gave you some options from Aladdin. We could do Prince Ali, Whole New World, or One Jump Ahead. Really we, we underrated friend, Aladdin song. We we played Friend Like Me when we talked about the passing of Howard Ashman, and that I feel like we nailed it there. Yeah. Eight Crazy Nights. We have Davy's song, which is their parody version of One Jump Ahead, basically, or a new and improved Hanukkah song part three, which plays over the credits. Yeah, most people don't know it's a trilogy. And then he acts surprised when Rob Schneider comes on stage. Like he didn't know he was there. Bitch, he lives in your pocket. (laughs) And then from the bodyguard, we have, like I said before, Queen of the Night or I Have Nothing, both fucking great songs. Here, here's my personal experience that I thought was fun and exposed a certain area of sexism I wasn't aware of in personal biases. We were doing a whole new world in karaoke. A woman I was friends with, she decided, like, why don't we switch up who sings what? And I realized a movie I've seen 400,000 times and owned the soundtrack of, I didn't know the lyrics to, ja- like, to, as, Jasmine's, as, to Jasmine's part. Like, versus. I just, my brain had ignored those and solidified the Aladdin parts. I had a tough time doing Jasmine's part. That was... That was a weird experience for me. Eye-opening. That's intriguing. Now I want to try that myself. Yeah. Um, next time I go to karaoke. And uh, right. uh, what are you guys uh, thinking? I like Whole New World. I go with Whole New World. Don't that's you do, close your eyes. That's that's the big hit up out of that one. Even though. And a, a, a great a great musical the... se- a great animated sequence like something you yes, wouldn't great. be able to pull off in live action at that time and probably would look stupid now. Haven't seen the Aladdin remake. Not going to bother. Why should I do that? I it's just going to make me want to watch the original. And it, what it was, was fine. It kept <laughs> my kids entertained in the theaters. That's all I required of it. And we will never, ever watch it again. But we'll probably watch the animated one again. And that's all the live action's purpose is. Yeah. It just makes me want to go watch the other one. Like, they're not going to do anything new. So what do I care? Oh, don't. You don't have no Jerry Orbach. Go away. Not a fan of it. And I again, I'm still secretly believe it's just another a, a million dollar way to renew copyright for longer than 100 years no 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 we, no, we they do this again literally make a billion dollars they, they do the the, the yeah. lion king especially i think crossed the billion dollar threshold real quickly uh depressing anywho yeah but coming up though we have some really good stuff i feel like next week is like eh, let's see what we got but the week after that we're gonna talk about muppets <laughs> and christmas again yeah, yeah. I, I, I i was considering that bringing there. that up but yeah, two weeks from now, another Muppet Christmas movie. The one you know about. Uh, the one that I, not I, I believe. hidden from you. And, and the one that is not only not hidden from you, but they promise would be restored for the first time ever in a full widescreen, high-definition version this year. I'm looking at you, Disney+. Plus. You better have done that. Better have done that. But thank you guys so much for listening. Patreon.com slash LaserTime. Take us out, Jasmine and Aladdin. We'll see you next week. Don't you dare close your eyes. Hold your breath as I'm like a shooting star. I've come so far. I can't go back to where.
share this hope.